Hey friends, this show is brought to you in part by Mental Mojo. Mental Mojo's patent-pending, naturally-flavored, sugar-free nootropic stack fosters laser-like focus to put you in the zone and long-lasting clarity to keep you there. I've used a lot of different supplements to help me stay focused and motivated while putting in those long hours, and my favorite has always been Mental Mojo. If you want something to put you in the zone on a daily basis, use code MAVMOJO at mentalmojo.net for a 20% discount. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Tristan Ross. For those of you who aren't familiar with Tristan, he's the infamous wonderkind who by 20 years old achieved the status of being the number one salesman at the national organization, The Shield Co. He's a business owner, real estate investor, and stock trader in his free time. This kid's passion for life is truly impossible to miss. And when he flew out from Utah, we had a ton of fun shooting this podcast. Uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. The story that you told me about coming up, you did. You had a ton of hurdles. Mm-hmm. Like you had a ton yeah. of hurdles. You didn't have um, advantages at all, right? And and by your age to be where you are, I want people to hear you talk about it. Like I want people where 100%. I'm from to hear you talk about it, so that so that they know that it exists and that it's real. And you're you know you're sitting here, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my personal like reason why I really wanted you to sit down because I know a ton of people from your situation. For sure, man. So, so I guess to start on that, in this day and age, I learned at a very young age that I was not interested in going to college, um, which was a big thing for me because it's like I feel like a lot of a lot of young people they don't know what they want, which is also like one thing that set me apart since I was like. 11 or 12, I've been hustling. Like, I was knocking doors when I was like 10 years old. And I would, uh, what I'd do is I'd knock the door and I'd say, Hey, I don't know. I'm sure they have in Detroit, like the window wells on the side of the home where the leaves yeah, fall in. Yeah. And Utah would knock doors after school and say, Hey, I'll clean out all your window wells. You know, just pay me whatever. At no pitch. That's my pitch. I'm cleaning windows. And people don't want to get in there and pull all those leaves. And I'm, you know, I'm a kid, you know. My parents, uh, and the reason I started How doing that, I was like, I started in fourth grade, or no, third grade, so I was like 10, 11 wow. at that time. Oh, I was third pretty grade. young. But the reason I started doing that is, uh, like, this is the first real taste I ever got of, like, wanting, becoming hungry. Because, you know, like, when you're six, seven, eight, you're just enjoying life. Like, you don't think about these things. But when I turn 10 and 11... You know, my parents at times, you know, did well, but there was times where I didn't know if we if we were going to get evicted out of our home or whatnot. When I was like 10 or 11, I'd be like, hey, mom, like, you know, me and my friends are going to go do this. Can I have a few dollars to get food or whatever it is? You know, you're a kid. You always ask your parents for change when you're going to yeah. do, do something. And the answer is always, you know, we don't have anything to give you. So my dad, uh, when I was in like 10th grade, he's like, hey, why don't you like knock on doors and provide services to people? Like they're, you're a kid, like you have energy. Like a lot of people don't want to mow their lawn or mm-hmm. pick yeah. their weeds. So I do that type of stuff too. Like it wasn't just window wells. That's kind of what I leaned heavily on because in Utah, it's like that worked really well for me because no one, like I said, no one wants to get in there and do that crap. Yeah. It's dirty yeah. work. It makes sense. It's really muddy down there too. So, and, and, and yeah, when I'm a kid, it's like I'm 10 years old. People see me doing this. Like I was making 100, 200 bucks a day when I was like 10 years old. So at a young age, I already got- What are you doing? What we're doing that money at 10 years old. I started putting it into the reptiles. Yeah, this this reptile thing has been going on for 10 years. You know, when you're a kid, I, I'm sure I spent a lot of it on, you know, basketball tickets and food and, and whatnot, just, just to do stuff. But I never was given anything from my parents, which at the time really upset me because especially when I moved to Utah, when I grew up in California, no one around me had anything. We didn't have anything. We were happy to kick, you know, we were playing dice in the street, whatever, marbles. Yeah. But when I moved to Utah, a lot of kids around me were pretty privileged. And so thankfully though, that's the best thing that ever happened to me because it kind of made me as hungry as I was. 
But so, you know, 10, 11 years old, my dad's like, look, you got to man up and you got to work. Like, you Mm -hmm. don't just get handed money in life. Like, Mm -hmm. so I started doing the window wells and that went on for years because I can't go get a job when I'm, you know, 12. So I did that. And then the gecko thing really started kicking off. And I was like 14. I was making 35 to 50 K a year off of the gecko. I was really pumping that as much as I could. Before I was even 16, like I've already had a big taste of like, uh, making a lot of money and whatnot. So at that time, that's when I really knew I didn't want to go to college because when I was 14, I started listening to like Ty Lopez, Gary Vee. Like I started mm. listening to Gary Vee when he was like, you know, a few thousand followers just because I was attracted Dang. to those, those types of guys. Like, you know, there's a lot of influencers, but you know, you click on one video on YouTube and you can be, be in a dark hole for 12 hours oh, just yeah. watching the same stuff over and there. over. Yep, yep, yep. And so I'm, I'm 14 and I've never been one of those kids who sits in the chair and listens. I like to get hands on, which is why I love doing door to door. So I can never, it was hard for me to focus. I didn't really care. And, and I'm in high school and they're doing all these math equations, all this stuff. I'm like, dude, this is not me. Like I have, I'm never going to use any of this stuff. Like I want to create something and, and to, to own it and kind of do my own thing. I didn't, I was never mm. interested in working for anybody my whole life. When I was, when I was 15, I was probably making about 30, 40 K 30, 40. Okay. Yeah. So man, talk to me about at, like the next step for you. I know that I know your story starts at 17 where, you know, I had the chance to, for to sure. know your name. Right. But what happened between there and 17? Yeah. A lot happened. Um, that's really when I kind of grew up really quickly. So uh, I dropped out of high school, right? Uh, it doesn't really matter. I was around the age of 16. I don't know if it was right before I was 16, right after I was around that age. A lot of guys will drop out of high school when they're, uh, you know, a senior or a junior, mm-hmm. and you're already so far to the finish line. So, like, this is how much I was preempting these things. Like, I really, really knew I didn't want to go to college, and I went to my mom. I'm like, hey, I'm dropping out of high school. And she's like, no, you're, you're crazy. No, you're not. She didn't even know I dropped out for like three months because what I do is I'd wake up in the morning with my bag and I'd go to work because yeah, I, I got a job at the movie theater. So she, every time she thought I was at school, I was putting in a double shift in the movie theater. And eventually she caught on. And then I, I, you know, I sat, I'm like, mom, I'm not going back to school. You know, I'm making this in the movie theater. I'm doing my gecko thing. Like she didn't like it at all. So she's like, okay, well, you have to get a GED. Right. Okay. So I said, okay, whatever. I'll get a GED. I never did, but I was like, okay, whatever. I'll get a GED. When I was 16 and I dropped out, I remember telling her in five years, mom, I'll be a millionaire. Five years. I promise I'm 21 on, on everything. Like there's a video. She recorded me saying that. And she, let's go. I want that. I want that. I'll send the clip to you. She has it on her phone. Cause it's like crazy. Cause you know, I'm, that's my main goal. Like I'm really close to doing that. So I have uh, 13 months to do that. Um, which if I don't, then I did something wrong along this year. But my mom knew me, you know, she knew that I was a little different. So she's like, okay, like you've already not been going to school for a while, but she, she, she was okay with me getting a GED, which, you know, I didn't do that, but that's what she thought I was going to do. So I'm working at the movie theater, dude, that was, uh, that place was the worst job I ever had, but it really taught me how to work. Um, because I came in and they hired me under the table. I was so hungry to work. So I was applying at jobs when I was 14. You have to be 16 legally in Utah. So I'm 15. Yep. And I remember this dilemma myself. Yep. Yep. So I'm 15. They're like, hey, look, they needed workers. Like no one wants to do concessions in a movie theater. It sucks. They're paying me $7 an hour. And uh, they're like, hey, look, you know, you turn 16 in a few months. We won't finalize a lot of this uh, stuff and you'll just 
kind of get paid, you know, under the table. Okay. And then a few months later, they did got Did you know the this- person before? So the person you started working for, did you know them beforehand or did you actually go in there and apply for the I job? I went in there and applied. So you were, so you're too young for the job. What um, was that situation? Well, I finessed my way all the way to like the trainings and then that's when they found out I wasn't old enough. Like I was really, cause I, that's, I knew that was going to be a big hurdle. So after I'd been through all the trainings, they're like, well, this guy knows what to do. You know, he seems like a good worker. Like you might as well just pay him cash. Cause I, I was like, I turned, I'm like, look, cause they're like, no, just come back when you're in three or four months. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I need this and I'll work hard on anyone you have. And they're like, okay, well you start right now. You start today. Let's and I was go. like, okay. So I started that day. I, I worked there for like eight months, but they worked me like a dog. What they'd have me do shit that, um, like the whole movie theater would have this grease funnel at the bottom of the movie theater. Like, like it was almost underground. I had to go to stairs to get to it. And all the Hmm. grease from the whole movie theater would go to this big filter at the bottom. And it took like six or seven hours to clean it. And they'd have me do that like three times a week. And I'd have to go in with a mask and and I'm 16. I was doing like crazy dirty work. Anyways, I ended up quitting that job because I'm like, okay, I find out I'm getting screwed. I'm getting like $7 an hour. All my buddies are getting $10 an hour to work at McDonald's. I'm like, this is stupid. So I go work at another restaurant and I was there for like two years almost. And that's when, so when I, when I first came out to Ego Show, I just turned 18. You went from that movie theater where you were too young to work there. You finessed your way in, that you cleaned everything at, at the bottom. I don't even know if I can imagine what this grease pile actually looked like. I'm not sure I what that is from concessions big, or from. big mop and I had these gloves and I, I looked like I was doing surgery. Like that's how I was dressed. So, so from there, from that situation, uh, this two years, how, how, what were you doing at the restaurant for two years? Uh, I was a manager. So okay. when I, I, I got hired, I became a manager quickly within a month. At 16? Um, yep, yeah, 16. I became the manager within a month. Dude, I was working 90 hours a week for almost two years. So my shifts were normally like uh, 7, to, 7 or 8 a.m. to normally 11 p.m., Monday through Saturday because the restaurant was closed on Sunday. I was making a lot of overtime. I was making really good money for being 17 because I was still doing my gecko thing, and then I was making about 30 to 40K also. Okay. So at this time, you know, ballpark, I'm making around 60 grand, whatever, as I'm 16 years old. Okay, I want to stop you there before we go past this point in yeah. life because this is really a question that I have. So why, right? You talked about earlier on your parents didn't have money for, mm-hmm. for things, you know, and, and yeah. you started working. At this point, you're... You're working 90 hours a week and you're 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your what, what was your driving force? Um, a, a few things. First off, I really, really like. I'm really attracted to cars, the bright lights, all these things that I never had. You know, I was like, dude, I, I can get whatever I want if I put my mind to it. So I'd work insane amount of hours because I'm like, you know, I want to get these cars. But to be honest with you, uh, about half the time I worked at the restaurant because throughout my my childhood, we were as a family didn't have a lot to go yeah. go on. The reason I started working so many hours is to pay our rent, or not our rent, our mortgage, my family's mortgage, not rent. Um, so wow. I'm 17, paying like a $3,000 mortgage, um, helping out my parents, because at this time, my dad is having a lot of health issues. He's in and out of work because he can't work. Um, you know, a few years before, he was doing a lot better, and then, you know, things happen, um, appendix, stuff like that. So he got out of work for a while, and mm-hmm. I have uh, six little brothers. Okay. So there's a... There's a lot of pressure on me. I'm like, okay. And, and a lot of my brothers are, are pretty younger too. And so I felt like I, you know, I was out of high school. I, I matured pretty quickly compared to a lot of kids my ages because things I'd been through at early ages. At that time, I'm like, look, you know, I kind of felt the, the, the need to provide. So I'm doing that. Everything's going well. 
you know, and it gets to a point, you know, after uh, close to two years of that much, just day in, day out, the same amount of work, I'm like, I really found my worth. I was like, I'm working so hard and I'm, you know, I'm making decent money for my age, but I'm like, I, if I put this, if I put this much effort anywhere else, I'll be making more money. So I started looking at like car sales jobs. This guy comes in to our restaurant. He actually gets hired. He's the guy who told me about EcoShield. He, it's the funniest story ever. Uh, this, this guy is Carly Burgos. He had an amazing first two months. Our rookie year, he sold like almost 200 accounts in two months, then he quit. Um, he was, he was the number one rookie when he, when, he, when he decided to go home. He had a ton of family crap going on in Colombia. So he's okay. just like, okay, this is not my biggest priority because he, he had a lot of crazy family stuff. So he just hung that up. He gets hired at the restaurant and he's like, uh, I'm quitting in two weeks. This is his first day. I'm like, uh, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I'm, I need to save up enough money in the next two weeks to get to Miami because when I get to Miami, I'm going to become a millionaire off of pest control. This is what he says for me, word for word. And I said, what do you mean? So he starts kind of telling me about it. And he doesn't know a whole lot about it because he's a rookie going into mm-hmm. it. And he's like, well, we do this and this and this and this, and I'm going to get rich. The, automatically, I'm thinking this is a scam. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> you know, but I, I was very intrigued. I was, you know, like a lot of people, young people are, because um, he's telling me the potential and whatnot. And I'm thinking to myself, because I've only been at this time, I've only been, uh, I was born in Southern California. I moved to Salt Lake. Those are the two places I've only been my whole life. I never had a vacation my whole life because, you know, we didn't have any money to go on a vacation. Same. Um, so it's, it's, it's funny that we actually say that because Doug all the time is always like, hey, how many times have you been to Mexico? Like, is this your, like, is, how many times have you been to Hawaii? I'm like, Doug, like, every trip I go on with EcoShield is a first for me, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking love it. Yep. Been through the same experience myself. Yep. So, but, but back to what I was saying, it's like that makes you who you are. You know, I felt mm-hmm. like, uh, I had a lot of peers uh, that were spoiled. Friends, yeah. you know, it's, it is what it is. It's, you know, if your parents have a lot of money, you're going to grow up differently. Those kids I see now have no ambition because they were just mm. their whole life, silver spoon, silver spoon. This is that this summer. is where the story starts getting good. <laughs> so um, I get a hold. Uh, so I, I find Carly Burgos as manager, which was Michael Davis. And Michael Davis was going in as a rookie. Uh, he's already done door to door, but he was going in as a rookie. So... Uh, he gives me Chaz Wright's information or his phone number. Okay. I'm reaching out to Chaz. I could tell from talking to him, he, he didn't want anything to do with me. He's like, okay, like you dropped out of high school. You work at a restaurant. You've never done sales. You just turned 18. A lot of red <laughs> flags. Like, um, and all I could say to him, he's like, well, what could you say to me as far as resume? I'm like, dude, I have no resume, but I'll work harder than any guy on your team. I promise you. Basically, long story short, that phone call ended and I'm like, okay, I'm not getting hired. Like just the whole vibe of that. Like he was a cool guy, but he was business. And I'm like, yeah, there, I don't think. So I ended up calling him again and we talked again. And then at that point I was just like, look, man, like I'll give it everything I got. Like, you know, let me come out there. And so he's like, okay, you know, they sent me the DocuSign. I signed it. This And this is in the middle of May. Okay. This is in the middle, middle of, of May. May. So the knocking season for those of you guys listening, starts May 1st. So yeah. I get to Florida. My first day knocking was like the 15th or 16th or something of okay. May. When I got to Florida, I thought I was going to get handed a box of Raid and I was going to be selling cans of p- pest control. That's what you visualized. Yeah. So I you had no prep. I had no, no prep. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. Like When I got there and they're like, this is a service, we have technicians. I'm like, what is going on? 
Like, what can I show the customer that I'm selling? They're like, it's not a product. It's a service. I'm like, uh, at that point, I was just so like, oh, my gosh. Like, I so underprepared, man. So I go out my first day, uh, worst day of my life. Do you remember the first door? What did you do? Oh, yeah. Boyd will tell you, too. Uh, my first door ever. So I knocked, like, two doors with Boyd, my first two doors ever. He pitched them. They were, like, both renters, so they, they didn't go anywhere. They were just, like, quick pitches. They were cool, but they're renters. Like, you can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, my first door, so Boyd knocks two, then he, we switched to me. Blonde, white, middle-aged woman answers the door. Snappy. And, dude, I have no idea what I'm saying. And I'm like, hey, so we're doing pest control. And she's like, I have a guy. I'm like, who do you use? And she screams at me. She's like, that's not in your effing business. And she slams (laughs) the door. And that's my first door ever. And I look at Boyd. I'm like, and Boyd's like, yeah, man, good luck. Like, this is. That was it? Yeah. Wait, that was it? Did you get any more knocking? No, he left. So. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So he left. I'm in this neighborhood, dude. And I'm like, okay, I just drove 3,000 miles to Florida. I was two feet in, dude. I'm like, okay, I can't turn around. So I go the whole day in that same neighborhood. I knock like 200 doors, it felt like. The good part of it was there was a lot of bugs. So I'm like, okay, I see the potential of this job. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, dude, I didn't even have a pitch. I was like, hey, I'm selling pest control. Yeah, I, oh, I Do you guys have pest control? That's my, that was my pitch, my first day. <laughs> I didn't get any sales. I bageled. And I remember sitting there waiting for them to pick me up that night, uh, Michael, so much is going through my head. I'm like, what have I done? I just left a decent job that was making good money at the restaurant. Like I put my geckos on hold. Like I sacrificed a lot to get here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was dating my girlfriend at the time. So I left her to go do that. Like I left everything back because I heard about this opportunity. I'm like, dude, for me, I was very interested to go to Florida because I'd never been to the East Coast at all. Okay. So I'm like, okay, if I go to Florida, this is going to be a new experience for me. And I get to learn to do sales. And my whole mindset was like, dude, if I can come back with 10 or 15, like I had my sights really low because I didn't know anything. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, if I can make 10 or 15, I'll be stoked. Uh, after my first day, oh my gosh, man, the emotions were it was the worst day of my life. Dude, no pain, no gain. So yeah. that, that, I, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because I think the worst thing that can happen to a rookie is his first day, get a few easy sales. I think that's the worst thing that can happen to a rookie. Why is that? Because it makes him think that he has it figured out. It makes him complacent. Because I remember my first day, everyone else got sales their first day. Like, so when I started, a lot of guys were also starting that first day, middle of April, because uh, there was a group of us that got there pretty late. So there's like five or six of us. All those guys got on the board that day, like the brand new six rookies but me. And I ended up... Everybody else made a sale but you. Yeah. So I, I, the pressure was way on. And, and here's another thing about my rookie year too, because I feel like uh, every year, especially since when I came to the company, people are starting to recruit younger and younger because they're like, you know, if we could, can get a guy in his 18, buy him in, get him in the system, he's going to be an amazing piece in a few years. We yeah. just got to groom him. Yep. So I remember when I came into EcoShield, I was, you know, I just turned 18 and I, I swear like the second youngest guy in our office was like 23. It, it just, I felt really like... Wow. Yeah. I, you know, don't get me wrong. Like Michael was awesome. Like Carly was awesome, but I just had met these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, I'm really out there alone and I'm like, okay, dude, I, these guys all got sales. This is bad. This is bad. And a lot of them have done a Mormon mission too. So I already felt like I was so far behind. So that night I go home and dude, I couldn't like when I am, when I have anxiety, which I did that day, not really on the door so much, but after, cause I'm just like, holy crap, I just worked all day. I didn't make a dollar. Like yeah. this is so much harder than I thought because I thought that, like I said, I was going to have an inventory. I was going to come back and be like, I sold this many and then I get paid like on the spot. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. So my first day I go home to the apartment and I find out we have training videos and a manual. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I need. Like I find this out that night. So I go on the training videos 
And the next thing you know, like I'm gluing to these things. I'm manual training, but it was like this, like just in my bed. I look at my phone, it's like 5 a.m. I'm like, well, I'm not going to sleep now because it's time to knock in like three hours. I finish up studying for like I, I got through the whole manual in the night. The whole manual took me like four or five hours to get through. And I watched almost every training video at the time that was up there. And okay. I went into that second day like so confident, dude, because I, I knew what I was doing now. Like, I was like, I get it. It makes sense. Like, if I had had that before, I would have felt better. But yeah. I, but I'm glad I had that first day because it really made me, I was like, dude, I have to figure this out. Like, I had so much pressure on me. How'd the second day go? It went great. So I got my first sale, like, you know, probably six or seven hours in the day. But I sold my first sale ever. I sold the next neighbor, like the next door consecutively after because I'm like, okay, so I get my first sale ever, and I'm sure you can imagine your first sale ever. Mm-hmm. It's the best feeling on earth. Amazing. You made it. Yep. Right? Yep. I can do this. Let's go. Um, <laughs> it was the biggest laydown ever. <laughs> the first um, ones usually are. Yeah. Right? Um, anyone would have got that deal. I leave that door. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can do this. Like, th- I could see, I could see it. And so I go to the next door, I get her because I'm just so like, I, I wouldn't take no for an answer because I'm just so pumped up. I'm like, look, we're doing yeah. this guy, we're doing this guy, we're doing this guy. I got to get it done. So I ended up getting her. And so that second day I had two. And then from that day on, obviously, you know, I'm a rookie. I had bagels all the time, but I was a consistent two to three a day. And okay. then it got to August that year. So I'd been knocking for about two and a half months at this time. In August, I was good for like seven to eight a day. So most of the money I made my rookie year, because I ended up making about 60 grand my rookie year, Okay, about 80% of that was in August. I probably made like 15 the first few months because I was still going through a learning curve. Even though mm. I was getting, you know, 10 or 12 a week, I feel like, you know, so August comes around the corner and I have, you know, 100 sales or whatever, 120 sales. And I think in August I sold like a 150 sales or something. Like I did, August I did more than I did the, the previous three months. That's so, a finisher. That's yeah. a finisher, man. I love it. I saw one of my guys with that this year. It's the best feeling ever. I, because it's also like, I love, you know, the way that they do it with all the competitions, you know, for a rookie. I, dude, I'm such a competitive person. So when I learn about this rookie mania, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm going to win. It's not even close. It's like, uh, the second I heard about this, I'm like, dude, I will do whatever it takes. Like, I'm not going to lose. Like, uh, I ended up winning rookie mania that year, which was awesome. Uh, that felt really what, good. What'd you win when you won it? What'd you win? Uh, it was a, it was a suit and I got, uh, I think it was like th- three grand and it was, uh, some other stuff like gift cards and okay. Who, but, do you dude, remember who you beat out? I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, it was, um, yeah, it was JT. I think it was JT. And, okay. Uh, Aust- that guy's a beast. Yeah. And Austin, I think it, I'm almost positive it was JT. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was him. Okay. So you win mania. Yeah. So, I, so, uh, Ricky mania. So I, I, this is the funniest story ever though. So Ricky mania ended before mania, I think, or maybe I'd already just like, I really just trampled Ricky mania. It wasn't even close. I just destroyed it. it like there wasn't even a guy who got remotely close within me and Ricky mania. Um, I it. so I get to mania, dude, I was obsessed with Ryan Iceberg's my rookie year, dude. I'm like this guy. Cause everyone's like, this guy's a goat, you yeah. know, I came in, I've seen it, man. Yes. He's wild. He, I came in and he was the LeBron and I was the rookie. I'm like, okay, I got to do whatever this guy's doing. So I'm like, okay, this guy has way more talent than me. It's way more experience. So I have to outwork him every day and then I'm going to beat him. So that's what I try to do. But, uh, funny enough, I would have lost either way. My rookie year in mania. I've, um, I think I placed third. I would have got really close to first, but what happened was, this is a crazy story. And our apartments are rookie year. They were in a little bit ghettoer area than we are now. Because, you know, office is opening. You got to yep. keep costs low. You want to be profitable, <laughs> you know. Hey, we didn't do that in Detroit. <laughs> 
Um, I am in a shithole my rookie year. Uh, 3 a.m., my neighbor shoots bullets through my apartment. They're, they're, like, drunk, partying. Someone gets killed in the apartment next to me. What? I, I don't know if it was a... Su- I don't know what it was. Someone died in there. And, but there was bullets that got shot through their wall, through my wall. And so I get waking up at 3 a.m. And this is in August. I'm the only person who lived in my apartment. Everyone else quit. All of July and August, I was the only person who lived in my apartment. It was kind of weird. Wow. Yeah. So all those guys were done by like July 1st. So I was there for almost two months alone in that apartment. So literally I wake up to cops just banging on the door, banging, banging, banging. So I wake up, I get up at 4 a.m. I'm just like literally just in my boxers. I'm like, what's going on? I look at the people. I see a cop. I'm like, okay, this is a serious thing. I crack it open. I'm like, I'm like, hey, uh, you know. She's like, she grabs me. She come here, come here. They could put me in a cop car. I'm like, I'm tripping. I'm like, what I do? And she, and uh, I didn't even wake up from the gunshot. I sleep like a like a bear, dude. I didn't, it didn't even wake me up. I would have woken up the next morning and saw the hole through my cabinet and be like, was it in the same room? Uh, no. So it wasn't. No, it wasn't in my room because my room wasn't connecting to the main wall. But okay. there was a bullet through the kitchen. Okay, so you, so the cop, what were they? They thought you were a suspect. No, no, no. They wanted to make sure I was safe, like, oh, gotcha. well, and, and a witness at the same time. So literally, I I go down. They put me in the cop car. I just have my boxers, dude, just my boxers on, and they bring me to the cop car, which is right in front of the apartment. So I'm like, whatever. It's like early in the morning. No one sees me, but I'm just like, let me get my clothes on. And they're like, no, like we this this big serious thing. Like all, everyone out of their apartments out of the building. Dang. Uh, this is in mania. So what happens is a few hours later go by. I'm still not allowed in my apartment because it's all, dude, here's my door and here's the door right there. So there's just cops and dogs and, and tape around. Like I can't, I told like five officers, I'm like, can you just like go into the apartment next and just grab a pair of pants and a white, not like a white <laughs> eco shell shirt? And they're like, no, we can't. Like, so basically I go so you to, can, wait, you can't get your uniform. Is no, that what's, okay. I couldn't get my, this is in mania. So I go to Michael Davis's house. I'm like, Hey dude. Um, cause I had like two people calling me who wanted service. I'm like, Hey man. So I, I talked to the people on the phone. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to send my guy. He's going to come get everything card. He's just going to get your card on file. And then I sent Michael to go and do that. And then finally, like by like three or 4 PM, everything was good. And I was able to go to my apartment and get my knock and close. Um, but that put like a huge step back on me in mania and it mentally, it just destroyed me. I'm like, what's going on here? Like it tripped me out so hard. Like, the cops were just doing their job. They're being like overprotective, yeah. but they definitely like were a little bit over the top. So that was a that was a, the craziest thing that happened to me in my rookie year, and I ended up losing that mania. But yeah, okay, I I got you, man. That is that that's wild. I never knew that story. Like this story that sticks out in my mind that that is something that I will mention at this time because you you're talking about mania and the way that you hold mania and shield right mm-hmm. the way that shield oh, for held. sure for sure. There's you know throughout high school right. We're playing sports. Remember getting feelings when you step onto the court or oh the field. Lord. You get those butterflies. Yeah. Right? During Shield, when we were against Orange County, we literally had the entire team. Okay, so this is the way we set it up. Uh, OC was stacked. You're okay? Chicago, right? At the time. I was in Chicago yeah. at the time. OC was so stacked, man. Oh, they, yeah, they, they, had, they, they had Sean. They were the super they team. Had, they had Icebergs. They had Tinsley. They had Cody. They, they had, had Emil. They had Austin. Like, all just so many uh, heavy hitters out there, and and in Chicago we had we had to get our shit together in order to you beat had to them, work right? as a team. Yeah. So dude, we had a meeting. We had a meeting at eight o'clock. Okay. Uh, everybody when they came into the meeting, uh, I had somebody. Well, us managers met up the night before and decided we were going to do this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we collected everybody's phones as they walked in. We had them take their shoes off. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why, but we did. We had them take their shoes off, and we all sat on the floor. 
in a circle. This this happened. I love this. This happened during. This was Shield against OC. Two thousand seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Uh, I had my biggest revenue serviced week of my career. Right. Made more like. This this was this. That's was what it's real. all about. This was real, man. Like so, we sat down. We all made commitments to what it was we were gonna do. And dude, I've never I've never worked so hard in my life. Like I I the entire team, every single person threw down. But when I got to the door, I felt the butterflies in my stomach, the same ones that I felt at like a state tournament or something. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what the hell is going on? I'm I'm knocking I'm doors. So like, I was so freaking, I was so amped. So there, you just watch the leaderboard all day, just going as hard as you possibly can, like trying to get all the technicians to work extra hours and all that. So that was what you're talking about, media. I, that was the time in my life where every single person all said, we're going to do this. And it was, it was absolutely insane. Man, like it's the best feeling knowing that everybody's just going the absolute hardest to try to. They they beat us by like two accounts. It was that, that's the same thing that happened with us with New York this year. We were the clear <laughs> underdogs. New York is stacked. Yep. It came to the point where when they when when it, the round was over and it took like two or three days to get the numbers. I thought we won. It was that close. Like it was. It came down to like two deals. So it is what it is. But we lost. But that was one of the best weeks of my life. Like we I, we've never rallied like. I was knocking neighborhoods like six deep with guys. Like I was like, get in, you're staying with me because I'm going to create this environment yep. that's going to just, you guys, like when I went into Mania, it's like throughout the summer, I'm really dialed in. But when I go into Mania, dude, it's like, I don't even think it's just like robot. Because um, you know, you know, you know, the, the level of competition is insane. Dude, the, I hate to lose. Yeah. I, I just can't, I hate losing. I'm knocking with all these rookies six deep or tech and homes. I just feel like I'm doing everything I can. Like I had my biggest week ever selling um, that week against New York. It was like constant. Like I had like uh, over a 10 spot like every day. I watched. I, was, I saw. It was like 10, 15, <laughs> 12, 10. But a lot of the guys in Miami were thrown down. Uh, we ended up losing. But dude, that's that's what it's all about is the competitiveness. Yeah. So for me, because we don't, you know, in May and June and July, you don't have that competition, the shield and the mania. So I try to create my own mental games every day in May. If I'm third on the leaderboard and it's 8.30 and I'm one sail away from one leaderboard, I will not go home. I will not go home. Because I think a lot of the guys have their sights set on money. If you have your sights set on money, it's you're not going to make a whole lot. Yeah, speak, speak a little bit on that, man, because I, I, I feel okay. that. Yeah, no. So what I mean by that is because I, I, I'm doing this to make money. You're doing this to make yeah, money. Yeah. But what, what pushes us and what gets the most out of us is not money because, you know, money's awesome, but that doesn't make people want to conquer everything just for some more money. Because mm-hmm. once you've already made, you know, like when August comes around the corner, I've already made X amount of money. I'm like, what, is, you know, I could be like, what do these competitions matter to me? But it, it comes down to working as hard, you know, just getting, for me, my thing is just to get the most production of myself every day. If I come home with eight sales, but I know I did everything I could, I'm so happy with that. But like I've come home with days where I had 15 sales and I and I knew I could have done more. And I'm just punching myself. 15 sales is just that's just disgusting. Yeah, no, it's it's what a what a terrible day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like that's how like I always there's like no matter I could sell 30 in a day and I'll look back on the one person that I should have had. I'm like, damn, like until I have a perfect day where I have a hundred percent close ratio, I won't be happy. What's your best close ratio day? Oh, uh, dude, honestly, I think I've had a few where there was one door I didn't get. I, I remember my first day this summer, I had a nine spot. I knocked 10 doors. A lot of those sales took over an hour because I wasn't going to mm. leave. Okay. You know, it was on one street. The street had 10 homes. I got nine of them. 
I remember leaving that street that day and I looked down and it was so dark and it was so late. I'm like, I literally just spent eight or nine hours on 10 doors. Every single person answered. It was an old folks community. So everyone was home. And with the old people, you typically, it's normally a longer sale. You have to build a little more rapport. Mm -hmm. They're not so fast to bite the or pull the trigger. I'm sitting there building rapport all day long with the, you know, with the older people. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, my, uh, yeah, dude, I've, I've had a few days where I was just one or two off. Okay. Okay. I have to ask Iceburst if he's ever had a perfect day. I mean, he had the one day this summer, I don't know if it was perfect, but he had that big day where he got 18,000 revenue. I saw his in July. I see the street that he knocked down. Yeah, the one, the one. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, and I think that's the way to do it because it's like, if you're going neighborhood to neighborhood, you can't build a buzz. Mm -hmm. It's like when you really get the ball rolling and and you're in a neighborhood with 20 homes and you just got five houses, like this is my neighborhood. Bro, what happened with the pictures? (laughs) Okay. I wake up, I wake up, Tristan's daddy was Ryan's team name. Wait, 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 so give, give a little context here. So what's going on? I wake up, this is mania. Like, so I went against, the whole time I was in the mania, I went against only people in the top 10. So my first round, I go against Jackson. Or it was Cam or Jackson. Then I go, I, I don't know who I went against first or after. I think I went against Cam first. Cam's a beast. Yeah, yeah. After that, it's I go done. against Jackson. Jackson's a beast. Mm-hmm. After that, I go against Ryan. So I'm just like, this is great. I get Dang. no breathing. Wow. Like normally in mania, you get like, the one guy really, like, oh, I'm going to cream this guy. So you can kind of take your foot off the gas just to save energy for that next opponent. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was just like nonstop, harder and harder and Damn. harder. So I go, okay, I got Ryan now. I probably, I mean, me and him probably had like a three-day mania span or whatever the competition is. I, th- I probably got three hours of sleep those three days combined. Like may- maybe. There was two nights, like back-to-back nights I didn't sleep. I'm going, when I get home... There's so much more to knocking than knocking doors. So I get home, I start studying. Like, dude, I study every day this summer, like training videos, stuff like that. I, whenever I have time at night and I feel like there's something that I'm not doing well, I'll go watch a training video about it because I am I can humble myself enough to be like, I can get better every day. But not only that is I'll go home and I'll chart out area for hours. So what I do it against mm-hmm. Ryan, the reason I wouldn't sleep, because I, 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 I knew that he, I would put in more preparation than he would mm-hmm. um, or mm-hmm. that I was willing to. Um, so for hours, like I think, so I get home knocking and I, this is, I slept from like 12 to two or something the first day. And then from like two to six, I'm like plotting out my whole day. I'm like, I'm going to go here, here, here. I'm like going to only people I've already talked to. Like, I'm really just strategically like doing my day, like, like a game plan. Like this is the play, 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 mm-hmm. play, mm-hmm. like totally like chalking it out. And 6am I go leave to go to the doors get on the doors at like seven because uh we were about a, i was about an hour away from my area and then the next days i did the same so thing you did that each night for and the mania session was that three days versus you two yeah so okay. the first night i got like two hours of sleep from like 12 to 2 or something um and the second night i didn't sleep because i was going into the, the final day of mania against him but dude it's it, the competition gets the best of me like i don't know how to say this but like when the competition comes like i turn into a different person like in the like you know, I'm ambitious all the time, but like I literally lose myself when it comes to I get so competitive that it's just like anything to win. So when you so when you saw Icebert's picture, what was the what was the rebuttal? So everyone so we have you uh, you guys have a group chat, we have a group yeah, chat. Yeah. I saw that dude and I'm like, fuck this guy. I'm going to crush him. I'm not I don't even care to do anything. I'm, like, I'm going to crush this guy. So I'm just selling knocking as hard as I can and Chaz and Boyd and some of the other guys are like, dude, like you can't just take that from him. 
you know? They're so, messing with you. So yeah, so I can't like they were like telling me ideas what to come up with. And so we decided that steroid free would be good for my team name because <laughs> his was Tristan's daddy. So mine was steroid free. And this is the funniest part, dude. I'm knocking, bro. And I go to like refresh my page. I had no idea. I refresh my page. I see Shannon as my profile picture. I didn't do it. I had no idea. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. I started dying laughing. Chaz and Boy did it. They went on to sales routes while I was knocking and changed my profile picture to Shannon. And dude, that provides some clarity. I had no idea what was going on, but when I saw that, I was like, my phone was blown. People are like, dude, you're insane. You're savage. Like, yeah, I'm like, just like you're doing that to icebergs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's dude. I he's you know me and him are boys. I, yeah, yeah. But um, dude, and he's the same way with the competition, dude. I feel like, like um, you know, I I feel like I'm the most competitive person in the company. But Ryan Eisberg is the one who wins all these manias and these shields. So realistically, like he's you know just as competitive, if not more. Hey, twenty twenty. There we go. Twenty twenty. Hey, dude. They dude. He's been on stacked teams, bro. I haven't been on stacked teams until this year. So. Now I got, we got a good supporting cast, but dude, I could go on for hours about the competitiveness and the competition, but literally like I totally forget about selling pest control. I forget about how much money I make and for a better commission. Dude, I'm just turning myself and like when, when the shield and the mania comes around, dude, it's just like sacrifice every, like, dude, no one will hear from me for like, unless you're a rookie or you're on my team, like no one will hear from me for, you know, those weeks, mm-hmm. my rookie year and uh, my second year as well in these competitions, I don't sleep, dude. I, I can't cause I can't go lay in bed cause I'm so anxious. I'm like, if I sleep, then I am like leaving preparation. Like I could use this time better than sleeping. How do you not sleep and function? I feel like when you're excited and you're passionate about something, which is funny to say, cause I'm selling pest control mm-hmm. and maybe not passionate about selling pest control, but just about the culture and winning and, and taking shield or mm-hmm. mania or whatever it is. When that, when that time comes, cause I think about this stuff all year round, dude. So when those three days come for me, it's just like, it's not even an option it's like it's kind of when i'm knocking like i'll never take lunch because it's just not an option for me like if i'm starving i won't even take lunch because i'm like dude i'm just gonna have a big dinner when i get home how many uh, do you on a regular day do you take a lunch like on a normal knocking day no 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 lunches no, 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 no. so when do you when do you eat in the morning and then at night yeah i have a pretty big breakfast and i have a big dinner I probably took lunch five times this summer and it was just because I was knocking with guys and I, I was in their car and like hey let's do lunch and I'm like like I'm not gonna say let's not do lunch when I'm in a guy's car and we're knocking. You know what I mean? I'm like whatever. What I what I found is that that's not really that odd in our top ten. Like I I found not that, at all. I found that out. No. That, that I remember talking to. Well, we were actually over in Cabo, and that was the night that we started talking a lot. And then I looked over at Cam, and I remember talking to him about. I was like, so how do you guys handle picking up your guys for lunch, and then like dropping them off? Like it just bites a ton of time. Like how do you do that efficiently? Like he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, lunch. He's like, you leave you leave the neighborhood. He's like, he's like, I'll. I remember he said it. He's like, every once in a while, you know, I might go to my car and like get a 20, 30 minute power nap. It's like I never leave the neighborhood. I told my it's guys mental. after that, you uh, you pack a lunch, you know, take it in the cooler. And, and and this is why it's it's not the thirty minutes that you take lunch that doesn't matter. Like it's okay that you sacrifice. Like Cam said, he takes the power nap. It still takes him about the same amount of time lunch would. But mentally, when you leave the hood and you go and you get lunch and you're with your boys and you know you're just chilling, 
you have to flip the switch back on to go knock, and that's mm-hmm. hard sometimes, especially when it's hot and it's August. Like in May, you know, guys don't really have an issue with that, but when you're two, three months into it and guys are taking lunch, like you're having to break through the wall to go back to the doors after lunch. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like at work, you clock out and you're like, I gotta go clock back in for my for my shift, right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of this the same type of philosophy. So if you don't clock out, I guess what I'm trying to say is when momentum, you, when you, you take feel, lunch, the momentum is dead. Yeah, I feel that. You I've, have to you have to recreate the momentum, which people can do, but it's hard. The, the food comas are real. They're they're real. Yes. It's terrible. I when I do eat lunch, I stopped eating anything that was heavy like years ago because I remember after lunch, after having eaten Chipotle. Oh my god! If you eat Chipotle for lunch and then you go try to sell, like, <laughs> dude, you're dead. Yeah. You're dead. You're dead. Your body's like barely able to no. process that much food in the yeah. first place. <laughs> I'm taking care of the bugs. Like they feel bad for you. <laughs> Momentum is everything. Like this this whole job, dude, is like I look at it like for, at such a you know like a microscopic view. Like four months. Uh, those four months is uh, turns into a hundred days of knocking or whatever. Mm-hmm. The harder I go in those hundred days, the more I can enjoy myself in the off season or whatever I want to do. Um, because there's so many guys in the company that have regrets mm-hmm. in September every year. Guys have regrets. I've never regretted a summer when I got back home. Like I've looked mm-hmm. back and like, damn, I could have worked harder, but that fuels me to try and do harder the next year. But I've, for the most part, I leave it all out there. Try to give it all I have. So that's that's a that's apparent through through what it is that you do, right? I've seen you on the leaderboard for years and years now. So the thing is, is that when you went to go to the like off season, where a lot of people will just relax, do do not much of anything, or sometimes people travel, some people go to school. Uh, you you decide you're going to become a, a business owner, and then you went that direction, right? Now you're a partner at EcoShield. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what made you what made you want to do that versus just like, hey, I already did my work for the year, I'm good. Ever since I got into EcoShield, I wanted to earn ownership. You know, just because you hit partnership doesn't mean you've made it. You know, you could, the partnership plan is only as good as how much you pump yeah. into it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm like, okay, like at this time, I, I, I felt like, to be honest, like this, this off season, I've worked harder than the last two off seasons combined. Like it's not even close just because I'm so motivated. And I feel like I've, I've got to a point where I've really like, not to, not to say that I've made it, but I've got to a point where I'm comfortable mm-hmm. that I can take a lot of my time out of my day to really try and help guys rookies so this year i'm i'm you know i want to crush personal sales i'm going to be in the top 10 but i'm really my main goal is to to sacrifice a lot of my time to help guys and just make sure that people feel like you're taking care of and getting the proper training and, and whatnot because at the end of the day dude i don't want to be knocking doors in 10 years mm-hmm. and the more i can teach what i know and, and grow and recruit and build and help people you know make what i made it, you know eventually i get to take a step back mm-hmm. but realistically man like to also to answer that question i even though it's the off season, dude, I'm still doing a ton of gecko stuff. Um, I do a ton of recruiting. Um, I trade stocks like every day, like crazy. Hey, the last going on right now. What are you doing? Um, with stocks? Yeah, I'm, man. I'm, like- I'm all in coronavirus plays. So all my money is yeah. in uh, companies, specifically Vaxart, which is making an oral pill for the coronavirus. And that's not something I'll be in that long because this is a, you know, it's a hot thing right now. Yeah, so yeah. those stocks are doing well. I'll be out of it in a few weeks. I'm always finding the new, you know, whatever is hot at the time or whatever is good okay. time. My buddy's actually the one who's like, hey, dude, you got to get on these coronavirus plays because my buddy trades stocks. I'm like, okay. So I did some research about him. Like, yeah, this is definitely the move. Like, it's smart. I can't believe I didn't think of this until he told me. So I've been doing that the last little bit. But every few weeks, it's something different. For me, it's like, dude, I can't have a whole day. Like, even if I'm in Hawaii on the Eco Shell trip, I'm still making work calls because I can't. 
go a whole day with doing nothing productive. Like I'll go to bed that night and I'll feel like crap. I'm like, dude, like what did I accomplish today? Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't have to be that that big. I went to the gym and I made three calls today. Like in in Hawaii, you can only do so much, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm happy with that. Control what you can control. After I hit the partnership plan, dude, like I really understood more of how the business works because it's like I had more of a sales mindset prior. Mm-hmm. So I'm just really trying to, I want to have the biggest team in the company this year revenue wise. I won't with guys because some guys just recruit like crazy. Um, but I want to have the best uh, team revenue this year. So what's the what's the best team in your mind when you're thinking what, what you're going to recruit? What's, what's the best team? How much in revenue? Well, to be honest with you, being competitive... I want to do more than whoever, you know, has the most, right? (laughs) So who knows what that number will be? Uh, Cam says his team will do 5 million. So if that's the case, I have to do 5.1. Honestly, like just ballpark, being realistic, because guys love to throw numbers all around the place. Like if my team could do over 2.5, there's no way my team's going to do under 2.5. Oh, you do well over that. Yeah. You do well over that. Well, Michael Davis is back in the company and, and he has some guys too, which is huge. I've just been trying to recruit guys from other companies too, which has also been uh, going pretty well. So I have a lot of experienced guys who are on the team, which it's like, you know, if they did a certain amount of revenue the year before, you you know that they're good for that minimum the next year. Yeah. I just want to have the biggest team in the company this year. And and that's all, like, that doesn't happen overnight. Like, this whole offseason, that's my whole thing every day. Mm -hmm. I just want to have the best team this summer. So That one, I I feel you. So... Got a question on Facebook, which I feel like a lot of what you said is going to answer, but it's very straightforward. What makes him so successful on the doors? Mindset. Uh, a lot of people, the one thing I hate is people are like, oh, he's a beast. and I couldn't do that. Like uh, when I started, I was the worst. So um, it's, it's complete mindset. Every day I try to do more than I did the day before, right? And as the years go on, if you're doing that every day, two or three years goes by, you're doing crazy things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I sold 10 sales on Monday and I sell nine on Tuesday, I feel like shit. That's still nine sales, but I didn't do better than I did on Monday. Why is that? Because I, I didn't do as good. So for me, it's about uh, seizing each day because I feel like some people look at success like way too, like you, you need to look at it day by day. Mm-hmm. Control what you control every day. And if you improve every day, you're going to be successful before you know it. But if you're just looking down the road five years, like, oh, man, like, my time will come or, you know, this, people are just, you know, you got to jump an opportunity when you see it, which is what I did with EcoShield. And then you got to take advantage of it, dude. Take all the tools around you, use them. But, you know, it's pretty simple. Just make the most out of every day. Some people just overcomplicate it in their head. Mm-hmm. And that's why some people I feel like think that, oh, that couldn't be me or, or whatever. But when I'm recruiting guys, I'm like, look, dude, like, I can seriously look at a guy and be like, honestly, like, you could really suck at this, but if you dedicate and sacrifice everything, you can be the best in the company. Yeah, yeah. To to that point, there is uh, a perfect story. I feel like that embodies that. So, last year I was recruiting. There was this seventeen-year-old kid mm-hmm. named Rumble, um, and he ended up uh, coming in for an interview. When, when he sat down across from me, I just I just was straight up with him. I was like, "Hey, man, I don't I don't know that you can do this job. Matter of fact, I'm I'm not sure that you that you can." Uh, but, similar to what Chaz Wright was, yeah, very similar. And I was like, uh, but but when he told me why he wanted it, I I, I felt it. I was like, I, I felt it. He was telling the truth, and mm-hmm. it was really deep. So I was like, I hired him on the spot there because of that, right? But I wasn't sure that he was going to make it. I just knew that he was going to try. So then he's like, Well, what what can I do? What can I do to make it? 
I was like, well, there's a lot of sales material that you should probably get on. So I was like, here, read these two books. So I sent him two books mm-hmm. to, to read. One of them was uh, Eat That Frog, and the other one was 10X okay. by Grant Cardone, yep. right? So he texted me back the next day, and he said, what next? And so he had, he had read both the books. Love it. And I was like, oh. So I sent him, you know, Way the Wolf. As we started down, down that path, and he made MDP, dude. And it's the coolest, it's the coolest thing ever because a 17-year-old kid, he turned 18 during the year. Every time I would go to pick him up, Every time. So I would go, I would see his pin in the neighborhood, right? So I go to pick him up for lunch, which I won't be doing this year. And I could not find him. Because, and then when I would see him, I, I swear he'd be running. He'd like, door door. Just straight up, like running, like from one house to the next house, like two streets down. I would go to go try to find him. He'd be running the whole time away from me, right? So that was, that's Rumble. Um, and that's what, you, what you, I feel like what you're talking dude, about there. No, that bro, embodies it, man. I can relate. Dude, I was running door to door my rookie year. I, in my second year, I was running door to door. Same. Dude, because it's, it's, dude, it's. It's an excitement, you know, like once you figure it out and you know what you're doing, it's, it's really like, it's fun, you know? Yeah. Here's what's crazy about this job for me, dude. Cause it's like, I look some days, I'm like, really sometimes this job sucks. And, but that's what makes it, you know, if if it was awesome every day or if it sucked every day, you know, that makes, that's what makes the awesome days better. Mm -hmm. You know, you take a 17 year old kid, he reads some books, he does some stuff, you, you give him the ropes and he runs with it. That's Mm -hmm. what I love about the system. Like if someone really wants it, there's no excuse. Yep. There's no excuse. If someone fails, that's fine. They just didn't want it enough. That's how I look at it. And it's not for everybody. You know, not everyone's crazy enough to go do that. That's awesome to hear. So is he like a manager now, like recruiting guys for you or where's yeah. he at? Yeah. He's manager. He's got guys coming in. He's, he's so like, sick. he's loving life, man. Uh, and, and a guy like him, it's like when he started and where he's at now, it's like when he's talking to his own guys, like, look, dude, you can do this. You know, I, I did it. Mm-hmm. You know, I started, I didn't know anything. Yep. But that's so funny that he read the two books that day. Yeah, yeah, that day, dude. Wow. He was just on it. All, that's what that's, he cared about. I barely want to say this on a podcast, but when he told me his why, I had to get up uh, and walk to the bathroom because I was about to start, like, I was about to start having some tears. And yeah. I was like, oh, I just, like, I got up. I was like, dried my eyes off and went back out. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give you a shot. Dude. It, he wanted it, man. He wanted it bad. Experiences that, and you can relate to this so much, experiences that you've been through in your life make you what you are. I am so grateful for all the bad things that happened to me yeah. because it, it fueled me to be who I wanted to be. Just like I was saying earlier, you know, you grow up on a silver spoon or you don't really have a lot of adversity to deal with in life. When you turn 18 and you go to the real world, you're not prepared at all. I love it. I'm going to go to the next question yeah, for you. Uh, so somebody asked and he already answered this question, but before getting into the Shield Co., uh, what was his sales experience? Zero. I'm, I, well, I notched doors as a kid. I was 10 years old. And I was picking weeds. So, I mean, that was my sales experience. Okay. That's it. That, hey, that works. Yeah. Um, oh, somebody wants to know, okay, so based on where you are right now, just because you're so young, yeah. uh, where do you want to be in five years? Three years from now, I want to be in my dream home. So in five years from now, I want to have like everything, dude. That's too much time for me. I look at five years, that's 1,500 days. Like in 1,500 days, I can conquer the world. For me, I'm motivated by a lot of things, dude. But to, to be completely honest, like... Where I grew up and where I came from, I want to be able to give back one day. Mm. I know so many people still who just very unfortunate, you know, there's a lot of people that I wish I could give to. And I'm, you know, I do right now a little, you know, what I can. But it's like if I can get to a level um, where I, you know, I I get my toys, I get what I want, I work for everything that I got. Mm -hmm. And then I just have cash flow coming in. uh, My goal would just be to help people. Uh, how was the first thing you do to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Evaluate where I'm at. 
for sure. Like, look at what I, what I did the day before, what I'm doing today, what I'm going to do tomorrow. You know, for, for me, it's all about being a visionary, dude. Like, in my life, everything that I said I was going to do, I've done to this point. Um, and then you get a certain level of confidence when you do that. So it's like, to the, to the bootstrap thing, it's like, sometimes when I just put my mind to it, I'm like, okay, this is what I got to do. I make a game plan for it. So, for example, I hit partnership plan. I'm like, okay, I want to have the biggest team in the company this year. I'm going to have to work my ass off and make a game plan and, and go and get all these guys and train them as much as I can mm-hmm. um, to, to do that. But, I, yeah, that question, I didn't know if they mean, like, just all in all or, or day just, by I day. Gen- generalization if they left it that way, so. Yeah. Okay, then here's another one. What are his daily habits, if any, that separates him from others? I wake up really early. I mean, I know a lot of people do. What time? Between 5 and 6 always. Okay. Like, if I wake up after 6.30... I panic because I, like, if I wake up and at seven o'clock, I'm panicking because I've lost a lot of time in that day already. Most of what I get done, and you'll hear this on any, every YouTube video, I, I learned this when I was a teenager from, you know, everybody on YouTube, all the influencers. It's like the best way to have a big day is by getting as much done you can in the morning because you don't w- start the day, get some stuff done, and then stop. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you wake up and you're lazy, you're going to have a lazy day. When you wake yep. up and you start doing things, you're just going to do more and more things throughout the day. So as far as habits and whatnot, as far as this off-season, I try to be at the gym by around 7. So I wake up, have breakfast. Um, I take all my vitamins and whatnot. Uh, one thing I actually do in the summer uh, that's kind of funny is I'm a big like believer. One time I heard that a good way to be successful when you're knocking doors is to, is to the doors to not be the hardest thing you did that day in a sense where... Mm-hmm. And for everyone, it's, it's different for everybody. So for me, you know those big uh, juices that are like all vegetables and they're just green? It's gross. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, dude, that, those scare me. So like that's my biggest weakness. Like, dude, that, that V8 stuff kills me. So I buy a ton of it every summer. And every morning I just chug a whole hell of that thing, dude. That's the, and, wor- that's that's, the hardest. <laughs> that's the hardest thing I do every day. So when I get out to the doors, I'm like, dude, I've already taken out my worst enemy. Like, and for other guys, I, I'm like, dude, dig deep. Do something you hate in the morning. If you hate going to the gym, go to the gym. You don't have to work out hard. Force yourself to go to the gym and do a quick workout if you hate doing it. If like some guys in our team, they'd go jump in the pool in the morning just to like get there, just to get going. But just any little random thing you can do, because um, it's like it's it, routines are just crazy, man. And the summer, my routine was the same every single day. Like it, it didn't break once. I'd wake up, I'd do my juice thing, I'd go to Dunkin' Donuts. Every day this summer, every single day I got the same thing because it's just like even if I wasn't hungry or even if I was sick of it, it's just like robot, dude, dialed in. Um, I'm like, I can't change my routine because what's the, what's the order? You said you get the same thing every yeah, day. So what do it's you get? a bacon, it's a bacon, egg and cheese bagel, which is actually pretty fire. And it was a large uh, cappuccino. OK, gotcha. so. Yeah, so like I said, I get coffee instead of like, you know, a lot of guys do. Uh, I mean, not this. I drink bangs throughout the summer sometimes, but I prefer coffee. But yeah, you know, a lot of guys are always trying to find whatever they can for energy. But yeah, so I, I hit to Dunkin' Donuts and literally mentally, I was so dialed into my the habits and my schedule and whatnot that I literally thought to myself, if I didn't do, if I skipped the, the vegetable juice in the morning or if I skipped Dunkin' Donuts, I was going to have a horrible day because I'm breaking my routine. Yep. And there's like, there was literally one day this summer, I didn't go to Dunkin' Donuts because I woke up late, we had a meeting, like... I, I wanted to get to a neighbor by a certain time, and that was the worst day I had this summer. Not because I didn't go to Dunkin' Donuts, but because I didn't mentally, my routine was off. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel right. 
some days I'd go there and I and I would I literally wasn't hungry like or wasn't the mood for coffee and I would just go there just to go there and get my stuff in the car just to, to check off the Let's box go. in okay, the morning. Wow, the routine. Uh, quick question for you about hours before I get to the next question. Yeah. Here. Uh, when do you start? When do you stop? What's your routine there? Yeah. So preseason before, like you know, we're doing trainings and guys are out there and whatnot, and then also in August when. We're just dialed in because we don't do a ton of meetings in August either because it's just like yeah. competitions we want to get out early. Mm-hmm. So when we don't have a meeting, I normally leave the apartments by 7 or 7.30, depending on where I'm knocking. So if I'm knocking 30 minutes away, I'll leave at 7.30, get there at 8. If I'm knocking an hour away, I'll leave at 7, get there at 8. Mm-hmm. Always on the, try to be on the doors by 8, 8.30. Okay. Every single day in March, I had like one or two deals before 9.30 or 10. So once you get that momentum... And you don't take a lunch. If you have two sales before ten, you're gonna get six or seven minimum, regardless. Like, that's okay. Okay. And then where do you knock in until? Well, daylight savings kind of went halfway through the summer. So at the beginning, I was only knocking till like seven because it was pitch black in Miami. Like, I don't know if that's the same in Detroit. We are so lucky. It, oh. get, it gets dark so late here. Okay. Yeah. In Miami in March, when I when I first got out there, it was pitch black at like seven. So I'd knock until like 7.30, but, you know, that people get bugged. So after daylight savings hit in the summer, like, there was a lot of times where I was getting deals at 9.30. Okay. So normally it'd be around 9.30 because I feel like at 10 at that point, you know. I normally don't knock past 10. Have you heard about what Doug's done in the past? Have you heard about it? No. Oh, you got to ask schedule. him. His schedule? I know he had it. I know, I know he, he got had... back. Dude, we're, we're talking, like, I've heard stories. I've heard stories about uh, in the a.m., like, well into the a.m., so I, like that, his home one eight one a.m. Yeah, two a.m. Uh, off of his. So he would set. He would say this line. He'd say, "Hey, what's the latest that I can come back?" And then depending on that person's work schedule, they would say all kinds of different stuff. And he would he'd push them as far as he like could. So he he had a bunch of paperwork to do all this kind of stuff from back in the day. So he set his go backs for like yeah. Well, that I did have a few doors like this, but no, that's really smart. I had a few doors this uh, summer where. The wife's like, yeah, my husband doesn't get home until 11.30 p.m. And it's like, I know it's a deal. So it's like, there was a few doors that I hit, but it's like, it wasn't like a random door. Okay. But no, that that's really smart of Doug. That's crazy. It's I, just like, I, I thought you appreciate that because I know you and Doug have your go back go back and forth on a few things. Yeah, no, no. I, I, Doug's <laughs> Which is awesome, a perfect segue, segue into our next, uh, yeah. our next one because uh, Doug would love this one. So after you're bored of the range... What's next? <laughs> Dude, I, I've already said this, uh, and I'm not changing my mind. In September, I'm getting a Lamborghini. It's not even... I almost bought one this off-season. I was, like, that close. Which one? Which one are you going to get? It's probably going to be the Huracan, but me and Amadeus have been talking a lot, and we've kind of sold each other on the concept of getting a Urus. Um, but the thing is, here's why I'd get a Huracan, because I already have the SUV mm-hmm. range. So yeah. I'd want to get, like, a sports car. Because the Urus is awesome, but that's more of, like, a dad-mom car, which mm-hmm. I kind of already have. So uh, definitely want to get, like, a Huracan drop top or something. Because, dude, in Miami, I used to like cars when I was a kid for sure. But, dude, the culture out there is just, like, cars, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, if you're driving Range Rover out there, you're nothing. You have a Range Rover. Like, you have nothing to say. You don't have nothing to talk about in Miami. It's, like, like that's, like... Like in Utah, like the average person drives a Hyundai or a Honda or whatever. Yeah, Miami, yeah. the average person drives like a BMW or a Range or something. Like that's where you start. Okay. So I, I was surrounded by that culture and I and I love it. You know, I've signed up people who have like 20 cars and it's just crazy, man. Like we signed up people with $2 million cars just like, and, and, and I'm like, dang, dude, like I, I vision it. I'm like, wh- why can this guy have this and I can't? It's awesome when you sign up, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs or whatever, sales guys, and they're like, oh, yeah, dude, you're a hustler. Like, 
you know, if I was doing this when I was your age, I'd have way more or whatever. You'll, you'll hear things like that. Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, man, like keep doing what you're doing. You'll get it. And that like pumps me up like crazy. Yep. But yeah, no, it's going to be a Lamborghini. It's so not even close. That's okay. All right. So let me jump over because you started mentioning about $2 million cars. I've heard that you've, you've uh, sold a decent amount of celebrities. And then there was a story about a rapper that I remember really well, man. What, what went down there? So one thing I love to do, and this is, you know, in every market, there's your, you could find a celebrity because... You know, they live everywhere. But Miami, you know, L.A., New York, those places, especially Miami, you get a lot of celebrities. So uh, throughout this summer, uh, I probably signed up celebrities. Like if you include like athletes, probably like 50 people just between like NFL, MLB, uh, musicians, artists, uh, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But we were talking about earlier, I have some videos on my phone. We went up to uh, X's house and I get in there. This is the funny story that I didn't tell you about. You, I told you I was there for like four or five hours. Mm-hmm. They had these tree frogs in their house that were loose. Wait, so where are you at? Whose house? XXX Tentacion. This is like the, the few days before he gets murdered. Um, I'm at his house. I have like videos on my phone. It's just a crazy experience. <laughs> the funniest thing is because I'm like trying to figure out how, to, how I can buy time in that house, how I can get as much clout as possible. I'm like, I'm in this house now. I don't want to leave. Like, I'm in this vicinity. It's on multiple posts, yeah. Yeah, oh, dude, it's just like, like, I just felt like it was one of the most surreal feelings ever. Um, and especially because he was the same age as me. It was just like crazy to see where he was. It's just insane. Mm. But anyways, his mom's like, hey, there's like three or four rooms in their house that they haven't gone into for like a week or two, and they had like towels stuffed under the door. And she's like, these rooms have like frogs in them, like little tree frogs. And we're like terrified to hell of them. Like no one in our family will go in those rooms. Like one of the rooms was the studio and looked very similar to this. Uh, You know, he had some mics and some whatnot and a bunch of papers all over the place. But for literally for hours, I'm going around this guy's house and this is insane. So his mom, which is Cleopatra, she says, hey, I'll pay you to just capture these frogs because I don't know who else will do this. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you don't need to pay me. Like, this is a reason for me to be here. So, and, and for me, it's like, dude, we're already talking about the gecko thing. It's like, what? I can catch some frogs. Like, throughout the summer, I'm in Florida. I'm grabbing snakes off the street all the time and whatnot because they're just everywhere. Um, so I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. Like, this is, this is awesome. I'm in her bedroom. She locks me in there. And I'm like, where, like, what do you want me to do? Like, I don't want to start digging through all her stuff. She's like, listen, Tristan, you have full permission to go through all my stuff. I need to find this frog. So I pull her dresser out. I'm going through all her jewelry. She's like, go through everything. Dude, I'm like, my hands is probably holding like half a million dollars of jewelry. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, <laughs> I opened, dude, I, on God, I opened the door and I fell down. Not like bad, but it tri- I got tripped over because so many Gucci and Louis Vuitton bags oh fell. Like they slammed them and she closed the door. I opened it to look in the closet and just poured on me. Hey, knowing your wardrobe, you couldn't have been that mad. Oh no, it was, dude, it was, <laughs> that, but those things made me want to, I'm like, dude, these, this, I see how these people are living. Like, that's what makes me like, I've been in the atmosphere of so many famous rich people, uh, athletes, rappers, whatever it may be. You get a glimpse into their life. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to go back. Yeah. You know, there's some areas, man. There's some areas in Detroit where it was just like Lions player, Lions player, Red oh. Wings player. It was, it was crazy. Tanner Shuck sold a ton of them. You know what I was thinking <laughs> before? Well, before he got traded, it would have been cool to get like Blake Griffin when he was out here. Oh, that would have been sick. Is Matthew Stafford still the quarterback for the Lions? Yep, he is. Uh, we were in his neighborhood. 
We were in his neighborhood, but I, I don't think that anybody talked to him or his wife. So When I get a celebrity, I knock that door like 100 times. You're never going to get a celebrity home on the first time. There was a, the guy I was showing you, the Spanish guy in Well. I sold. He has got 20 million followers on Instagram. I knocked his door like 10 times the summer before and uh, never answered. That The next summer, a bunch of other EcoShield reps knocked his door. They never, never answered because it's like, dude, this guy's on tour. Like, they're never home. And if anyone's ever home, it's just a housekeeper. You know, they're mm-hmm. not going to do anything. I finally get him home. He answers. He doesn't speak a lick of English. So I do my Spanish pitch. I sign him up. Um, you flew it? You flew it? No, not at all, actually. I, this is how crazy. Like, Miami, uh, when I started my rookie year, I knew Ola. Um, and right now I know enough Spanish to just sell you pest control. And other than that, uh, I'm lost. Let's go. I've, I've had to call my, my buddy. Pitch? <laughs> yeah. That, oh, yeah. okay. If you with it. Um, so I'll knock the door and I'll say, oh, hey, I'm Tristan. And then this is what they always say. Ah, no inglés. I'm like, oh, lo siento. Mi solo gringo in uh, Miami or whatever. And they'll start laughing. I'll say, uh, a la fumigación, which is pest control. And I got this because Michael Davis and, and a lot of the other guys spoke Spanish in the office. So I've mm-hmm. seen their pitch before. So I just try to. It took me a long time to get it down, but I'd say, Miami Tristan, Conico Shield Pest Control, Ala Fumigacion para todo vecino, uh, mucho armiga, araña, ants, and spiders. Uh, mi tecnicos aquí hoy, my technicians in the neighborhood, muy barato, so very cheap. Let's um, go. Yeah. Let's go. How many, how many of you signed up that way? Oh, probably 100 people. Like, well, on my whole, in, my, in my three years, hundreds of people. Here's the thing, too. The fact that my Spanish is choppy, they, un- they give me a bigger chance. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if a guy comes up completely fluent in Spanish, they'll still shut him down. But the fact that I'm sitting there and there's a little bit of a language barrier and I'm struggling, but they, they still get the point. Like I'm trying to sell them pesticides. They get it. Mm-hmm. So they kind of give me a, a little bit more of a chance just because I'm struggling there. You know, no one speaks no English. So yeah. I'm able to get a little bit of English in because like they'll ask me questions in Spanish and I'll just be like, Hormiga araña, ants and spiders. I don't, you know, I don't know what else to say. But dude, it's insane how many people I do that pitch and they'd say, uh, "Cuánto? How much?" And I say, "Noventa uh, de cada mes, ninety nine bucks a month." Do you take card? You know, they'd say, "Do yeah. it for cheap." Dude, like, and here's another thing with the Spanish areas: if you're in an area that's mo- most of where, at least where I knock, if it's Spanish, it's super rich, mm-hmm. like okay. super rich. So everyone that I've signed up in Spanish is like a, a big contract for okay. sure. What? Why is that? Do you think? Because I'm in like when I'm in Miami, Miami. There's like areas like Coral Gables, like Miami Beach, very Latin, like very dominant Latin, mm-hmm. like 80 percent Latin, like not a whole. That's the culture there. Yeah. So and I'm around knocking, and those people are just filthy rich. Like Connor Ibsen, a number one rookie of the company, he sold the president of Nicaragua this year. Like he was living in Miami, he signed up the president of Nicaragua. I think he had like a 25,000 square foot house or something crazy. And Connor had a conversation with him for a few hours at the table. You know, the, the people we run into is, is really funny, but some of the people there with the most money are the Latins, you mm-hmm. know? So w- I love going to those areas and they're um, super nice people. You know, you, you'll never get a Latin mad at you ever, like ever. They just, you know what I'm talking about. Oh. I don't know how many Latin, Latinos there are. In, There's uh, everything in Detroit. There you go. You get There's a mix everything of everything in exactly. Detroit. Yep. Those are my favorite people to talk to is Latins just because it's easy to build rapport, you know. So I don't speak that well of Spanish. Like Connor Ibsen, he's a better example because uh, he served a Mormon mission and he was in Spain. Okay. So he speaks Spanish very fluently. Like almost all of his sales this summer were in Spanish. Oh, dang. Almost all of them. Did he go to specific areas on purpose? For sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah. For sure. 
I got that. Well, it separates him from all the competition. I'm sorry for looking at my phone. I'm looking for uh, no, no, no. I'm looking for more stuff as far as like uh, more more questions for Tristan here. Somebody wants to know uh, once again your age with the kind of bankroll that you have. Where are you looking to park your money um, oh, yeah. into the future? Big in stock market. So I, I trade a lot, like day trading a lot, but I also like to do investments in the stock market because. I feel like that's a good place to invest. But my whole thing I'm trying to do right now is really get big into real estate. I, I want to, I'm still trying to learn it because real estate is really simple, but from the outer eye, but when I start learning more and more about it, I realize how complicated and how much really goes into it. Because, you know, a few months ago and I didn't know a lot about real estate, I'm like, oh, you just put money in, you know, you get renters, you get tenants, whatever. You buy properties, it seems easy. Like you just get cash flow. And as more I start learning about it, there's so much stuff that mm. goes into it. Four big things right now. Five um, stocks, Eco Shield. I'm, you know, that's I consider myself invested in that. Real estate. Uh, I want to start getting more into like Airbnb, short term rentals, okay. and whatnot. Dude, the shoes. So this is something that I'm pretty knowledgeable about. So, so hold on, let me cut you off real quick. Yeah. So for anybody listening, all right, you will not catch Tristan in anything but I don't know I've only <laughs> ever seen you in Yeezys I don't know if you have other shoes no definitely yeah, if you have I don't know do you have Gucci like Louis uh, mostly Jordans mostly Jordans mostly okay Jordans. Right. I, I always see you when you're wearing Yeezys so anyway yeah. I'll, I'll segue in there so what's what's up with these shoes okay so <laughs> you know uh anyone who likes shoes you know you get into it because shoes are cool and you start learning about Wow. And so basically last off season, I did all these test runs. I was flipping and buying shoes and doing all this stuff. Long story short, last off season, I probably made a little over like 10 or 15 K doing shoes, which for me wasn't even about making the money, but I learned the market and I learned a lot about like the sneaker game, which like is a lot bigger than some people may think. Cause some people say, well, it's, you know, it's a pair of shoes. Why do you spend that much money? But it's supply and demand and mm-hmm. just like everything else is. I have over like $30,000 invested into shoes and this is why my mom thinks I'm nuts. So last, <laughs> last off season, I sp- he's 20. He's I, 20. So, I sold all these shoes last off season, you know, a thousand a pair, 1500 a pair, literally like 500 a pair. There was, uh, and I go and I look at these pairs one year later and some of these pairs I sell for a thousand dollars or $4,000 12 months later. Mm. Uh, if you go and you look at the first Jordans that were released in the 80s, the 90s, if you still have those and they haven't been worn, they're worth, like, I look at it, like, similar, because I used to be, I used to have a ton of silver. I sold all my silver and kind of transitioned that into shoes because I've had silver for five years and it hasn't moved at all. Mm-hmm. And I saw how many shoes, if I had just saved all the shoes I sold last off season, I actually would have made double or triple if I sold them now. So I'm like, okay, and this, uh, you know, I've always had nice shoes, but, like, as of the last, like, three months... I was like, okay, I'm going to seriously go out, find a bunch of pairs that I, that I, and, and most of these pairs are one to $2,000 and I'm, I'm not going to wear a lot of them because they're an investment mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I keep it away. And you know, in 12 months I might sell it for double or I might hold it for 10 years and that, that could put my kid through college. I don't know. Like that's, what's cool about shoes. It's, it's crazy. Like I'm still learning the, the sneaker game is growing as it, as it goes, but it's like there was pairs of shoes a lot of people know, I don't know if you know of, so when Kanye West first made Yeezys, he started with Nike before he went to Adidas and he only made a few, a uh, few Nike shoes. And those are worth thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. They're like they're the rarest, like some of the rarest shoes you can get. What's the, what's the most expensive you've seen a shoe go for? 25K, a pair, 25K. But that's what wow. I've seen. I know that people have paid a lot more than that. I had this pair of shoes. A lot of people know what it is. It was like um, the Red October 2s. Um, there are these, there's these Yeezys. Um, I got them for like 
three grand or something last off season. And then I flipped them for four, made like a thousand dollar profit. Right now I could sell them for 10 grand. 12 months later, if I had them. What changed, what changed that? Just there's no, there's no longer... Supply and demand. Okay. So it's like, so let's just say um, a really hyped up shoe comes out, they make 5,000 pairs. Mm-hmm. You know, over time, let's say 3,000, 4,000 of those get worn out, ruined, worn. You know, they're not worth anything anymore. So you have 1,000 pairs left that are brand new. And these are collector items. You know, people who spend this are not really going to wear these shoes unless they're like a rapper or an athlete. You know, I, I have some expensive pairs of shoes I wear, but if it's over $1,500, I'm not, I'm not breaking that out, dude, because mm-hmm. it's like a car. You take it off the lot, you know, it has zero miles on it automatically, so when you keep yep. it brand new, it's worth way more. But, dude, it's, uh, it's kind of a test run for me. Like, if this works out well, like, next year I'll put well over six figures into sneakers. I want to see, like, so I wrote down everything I spent. I looked at all my pairs. And, uh, and about a year from now, I'm going to go and reevaluate next off season and just see where they're all at and see where they've grown. And just the main reason I did that is, you know, you compare real estate returns. I compare stock returns. I'm just trying to get the most return out of my money. Just Mm -hmm. make it work for me as much as I can. And for some people, they're like, Oh dude, you're just wasting all your money on these shoes. They have no idea. Like, um, for example, this Louis Vuitton bag I have, I could sell it for more than I bought it for. Like i you know, because it's supply and demand. Mm-hmm. You know, I get a few months ago for whatever amount of money. People ruin theirs. There's not as many available for sale online, and so people are willing to pay more for mine. So it's like it's crazy. Like the designer streetwear world, like how much goes into that. You know, like I'm sure you've heard of Supreme and that type of stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm not big into Supreme just because I don't really like it as much, but it's still crazy. Like what? Like because dude, like. I bought, I bought this T-shirt. I'm not going to wear it. I bought this Louis Vuitton T-shirt. It was like $1,500. Just complete, like, I'm, I'm going to hold it for a few years. Because it's crazy, dude. Like, I, I, I've seen, like, uh, Louis Vuitton and Gucci things, like, that they sold for $500 or $1,000 or whatever. And they and because they do things seasonally. So once mm-hmm. it's out, it's out. It's done. You, you know, the only people who have them are the people who bought them. And the amount of people who, like, if someone's going to spend $1,500 on a shirt, it's, some the, those people normally wear that. Not a lot of people just buy it and stick it in a closet and just let it sit. No, I've never heard so, of that for $1,500 exactly. shirt. But it's like I, I talked to a lot of people who are like, yeah, dude, like I've been doing this. Um, I find people on YouTube who just collect that type of stuff. And here's the one thing I do know. In five years, there, that shirt will always be worth. It doesn't lose its value. But it, it can only go up. So like a lot of investments that I've made, stocks, gold, silver, a lot of things, like... I was looking at my returns years after years. I'm like, dude, I'm getting nothing. Like with stocks, I get sometimes it's up and down sometimes. Like with Mm -hmm. with sneakers, they never go down. It doesn't matter if it's the economy, whatever. They hold value better than gold. You're selling me on you're selling me on this right now. If you go and you buy (laughs) one expensive pair and you just stuff it away and forget you have it, in 10 years you might pull it out and go on eBay and be like, oh my God. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. Okay, okay, I got another one for you. With your level of talent. Why the hell are you in door to door? I love door to door, man. Um, dude, here's why. Really, it's the lifestyle, dude. Like any other job, like I've been offered really cool opportunities to go do crazy sales jobs overseas and just amazing opportunities, I feel like, but none of them are for four months, you know? Like, for, for what I did this year, I feel like there's no job if you're 20 years old unless you're in the NBA or you make music or something, that you can make that much money in six months. And then, the, and then the rest six months, I get to reflect on that, build my mindset, grow my team, look at what I did right, look at what I did wrong, go into the next year and make more. 
it gives you time to reevaluate yourself. That's why mm-hmm. I love the off season. And, and, and you, you know, it's like we said earlier, it's a work hard, play hard thing. You know, yeah. you go so hard all summer, you make all these sacrifices. You want to get home and enjoy some of those things. And then by the time the off season comes around, you're just completely recharged to go back out for the summer. Mm-hmm. So that's why door to door, you know, uh, cause any other job I'd have would probably be, you know, year round. Okay. That's a, that's a, the lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand it. I understand it. Yeah. Oh, you know. Oh, yeah. But it's like I, I completely understand that. That's why I think that question's hilarious because like someone who doesn't do door to door, they're like, dude, there's so many other sales jobs you can do. Oh, Why man. would you go kill yourself Pe- on some doors? Yeah. Yeah. No, people like I've told them that I do like when I say I do door to door. This was before I said like, you know, now that you're in a role, like you can work up to partnerships. You say partner. But before that, they would look at me like, oh. Like, like, like they were like, they, they, felt, they felt really bad for me. And I was like, oh. no, dude, I, I have some funny stories when I'm in the airport and I just have a bunch of expensive oh. crap on me and people are like, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a solicitor. What do you mean? I, I kill bugs. You just try to make it sound as lame yep, as possible. Yep. They're like, they're just so confused. It messes up their whole world. Their, their whole dude, world times are changing, screwed. man. Like, like if my little brothers decide to go to college, they can, but they all seen what I've done and none of them are interested in going to college. And my parents don't mind that because times are changing. Times are changing massively. And what, I, okay. So what's, what's your opinion on what's the equalizer right now? Like what, what is it that's allowing for people? And I, I don't have anything. Well, I have what I think I would say, but I want to hear yours. So what right now is out there that has changed the game and made um success accessible the internet to everyone internet okay YouTube. yep okay right for me, there if i grew up my whole dude i've watched almost every video on youtube about no motivation and success thousands of times over and over that's all i watch on youtube and there's so much content out there man. Mm-hmm. now here's the thing you go back 30 years ago you can only get that in a in a college classroom mm-hmm Dude, when, you ha- when you're on YouTube and you're listening to billionaires or millionaires or these people who've made it, it's not BS. Mm-hmm. You know, like I listen to Mark Well, some, a, lot, a lot of it's not BS. Yeah, there, you know, there's, but you can quickly tell if yep. someone's, you know, so you listen to the Mark Cubans. Like, dude, I, I've been listening to Warren Buffett since I was 13. Mm-hmm. So it's like I look at my buddies and, you know, I have a lot of buddies who go to school. And I feel like law school and, you know, uh, medical is a lot different. Mm-hmm. But it's like to go to business school in 2020. I'm sorry, but it's stupid. You got your computer right there. So, so I I love that. Like yeah. I, I absolutely love that. I think I think that that is the truth. In this is absolutely this, every. This is what I've told my buddies who go to business school because I was able to get some of them to drop out because it hurt. They're just get, they're burning their money. I'm like, dude, take your professor. Okay, why is he not running a business if he's such a good businessman? Why is he a professor? If he was such a good businessman, he'd be busy making millions of dollars running his business. There's a reason he's teaching a classroom because he he isn't a businessman. He's a professor. You know, he he knows everything to say, but he doesn't have any experience because if he did, he'd be being a businessman. What's that quote? Those who can't do teach. What's that? Yeah, yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, this is this is not me uh, sabotaging. Hey, stay in school, kids. All right, stay in school. Um, hey, this is this is something that I recent like recently have found more passion for and and I'm I'm honestly it's a, it's a concern okay so we're we're really young you are really young I'm young too right so what I'm realizing is so I I can't really relate to this because once again we have we have direction I'm really grateful for like EcoShield and now there's mm-hmm. more things that are streaming off from it right like for example you being here and us sitting down and getting this content out networking absolutely build, building and building in a lot of different ways um but there are s- Okay, so how do you feel about this? Um, 
I want to, I should try not to say this in a way. I want to follow my passion. I want to follow my passion. So I'm going to fill in the blank. Um, So recently I've run into an extraordinary amount of people, like one in a row in a row that's got me thinking about this. Um, They want to do a thing uh, in the marketplace that they're passionate about. And for whatever reason, right, I won't offer an opinion here, uh, they are really, really struggling. There's been also a lot of like dabbling in one thing a little bit because they thought that they were passionate about this thing. And then they find out that the environment like isn't um, what they thought it was. And, you know, the, the management's bad. Nobody cared about them or something like that. How do you feel about they're looking for a job that that they're passionate about? That's a really good question, dude. So it- for me to answer that, like when I got into EcoShield, um, I wasn't passionate about killing bugs or doing pest control. Same. I was passionate about work and get me. Like it's funny because when I started EcoShield, I wanted to just make enough money to start my own businesses and then I ended up partnering with EcoShield and I'll open more businesses in the future. But you can take your job to your passion. You know, like a lot of people, like how many people work a nine to five to feel their passion and mm-hmm. they go home and they do their passion? You know, like so many, for example, take a, take a musician or an artist or something. That's got to be the hardest thing to get off the ground going. But when you, let's just say, because this happens quite a bit. Let's say there's a guy working at McDonald's and he's trying to make it in the rap game. Mm-hmm. If he is working every day at McDonald's 9 to 5 and he's just working his butt off just to make that money to get whatever pr- equipment he needs or do whatever he does for his passion, then I, you know, it doesn't matter what he's doing for work because he's still fueling his passion at the end of the day. So for me in EcoShield, it's like I'm not passionate about killing bugs, but I'm passionate about the competition and what I do in the off season. So it's like you've got to look a little bit deeper than what the job is because a lot of people, you know, like aren't passionate about the exact title they have, but there's a lot more that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when you're at a job, uh, you might not be passionate about it at first. You know, that might come to you. You know, when I started EcoShield, I wasn't passionate about EcoShield right away. Like, you know, it comes with time. Mm-hmm. But I, like I said, I was passionate about, uh, I wanted to get these cars, I wanted to get this house. Like, my, like one thing that I always watch, because I watch a lot of stuff, but one thing that, I don't know if you know Derek Rose. Yeah. Okay, but there you go. So when Derek Rose won his first MVP, uh, his, uh, his, or before he won his first MVP, he won it that year, but... He has an interview. He's like, why, why can't I win MVP? Why not? Mm-hmm. Who said I can't? Why? Mm-hmm, yeah. Why? Um, and, dude, that sticks with me all the time. So it's like anything I put my mind to, I'm like, the only reason that I'm not going to be able to do this is, is if my mind tells me I can't. So, yeah, any job, you just have to look a little bit harder, you know, with it. And if, if it's a job you hate, don't do it. But if it's a job you can bear and it can help you get to where you're going about being passionate, then there you go. I got a, I got a question for you as, as a dad, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you talk about, and, and I can really appreciate this, so you talk about you're grateful for the, the challenges, the hurdles that you overcame and st- have overcome, right, because it, it develops you as a person. Uh, when you think about your son, right, and the different environment he's going to come up in because of what you've done, what, what, are you, like, what are your thoughts as far as like how are you going to make sure that he gets that that kind of experience um, enough that's, that's going to actually you know help him benefit him in the future. I've seen this hand in hand very well in Miami. I've knocked into people who have a two million dollar house and their kids are filthy like spoiled. I've knocked into people with a twenty million dollar house and their kids have nothing, and and that tells me that those parents you know where the kids have nothing they grew up with nothing as well. Like I was happy to have 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner in a day. That was a big day for me when I was a kid. Just to get three meals in, like was that that like if I I was happy with that. So for him, he's definitely going to be a little more well off. But I've thought about it because you know I feel like everyone wants to spoil their kids, but um. I I won't lie. I'll probably spoil him after he's like 21 at that point. Just but I need him to learn everything first because if a kid just grows up spoiled, mm-hmm. he will never learn, and he will always be. And I don't want to have a kid like that. I want him to understand like what I had to do to get to where I am and the struggle. Because dude, for me, like uh, a big motivation of mine is to honor the sacrifice my parents have made for me. My dad was homeless since he was 11. Uh, doesn't really have a relationship with his parents. My mom moved out when she was like 16, so they've been really independent their whole life, um, and they've they've they have you know seven kids. So they've sacrificed everything. So I look at mm-hmm. that. I'm like, okay, I learned from them doing that. So that's what I'm going to do for my son, regardless of what the money is. Like I've thought about it. If, you know, I don't care if I have nice cars and he lives in a nice house. Like that's as spoiled as he'll be. But he's not going to just get whatever he wants. So I've I've thought about this quite a bit. If he says, hey. Dad, uh, I want to get this. I'm going to do what my dad did. Say, hey, well, let's think about a way how you can make some money just to kind of teach him the work ethic. Mm-hmm. And then when he's an adult, you know, and, and he learns how to have a work ethic and he has a career, I'll give him some rental properties or something, you know, okay. to teach him even more. Like at that point, like if you give your kid rental properties, you're spoiling him. But I think that's the best thing you can give him because you're teaching him investments instead of giving him a Ferrari or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's I mean, that's what my goal would be. Um, and you know, he, he can do whatever he wants, but yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I've thought about that cause you know, he, he rocks Gucci now, As but, I, but oh. that, that's <laughs> when he starts learning about what those things are, he can't have that anymore. <laughs> cause I don't, I don't want him to be that kid in the classroom who's snobby, stuck up, spoiled. Yeah. Cause yep. you had kids like that in your classroom. I had kids like that in my classroom. No one likes them. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not the type of kid you want around. Yeah. There's an interesting thing that applies to this where, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. He said, uh, this stuck with me for some reason. He said, don't let your kids do something that makes you hate them. I want to spoil them with my time, you know. Okay. I finished my rookie year. Uh, it's January. I find out in January, going to my second year, that I'm going to have a son. Um, I was already motivated at that time. So that, for me, was like, okay, all I could think about is how I grew up and that how he wasn't going to grow up that way. And not that, you know, my parents were bad parents at all. They just, they had a lot of unfortunate things that happened. So yeah. at this point, I felt like I had the ball in my court to to uh, just kind of pave the way for his future, in a sense. That second year, and even the third year, dude, and, and every year, just because I have a son now, it's just a whole different level of motivation. Your why is just different. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I lost a lot of selfishness when I had a son. Like, I saw the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and dude, it's like, uh, you, you want to set the example for him. So I want him to grow up and be like, yeah, my dad worked as hard as he can. So mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. Yep. So check, check this out. Let me ask you a question. So there's a ton of people that grow up and they don't have, they don't have fathers, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that is, that's huge. They never saw somebody going to work every day, like in that father role. What do you think that in that situation, just an opinion of yours, how do you think somebody goes about normalizing something that they've never seen done before like what would be a what would be a good first step for for those people i'm just i'm thinking about some people in my head right to now to be to be honest if i was to put myself in that situation not that i can completely relate but if i was trying to my best i would want to be everything that my dad wasn't you know if he wasn't around you know i want to i want to be a completely different person if i have kids or not i want to be 
there. I want to be present. I want to be successful. I want to be giving it my all. Because, you know, you're not only cheating your kids, but you're cheating yourself. You know, like, it's funny because it's such a corny thing, but YOLO is real, dude. You know, every day I look back, it's, it's a real thing, dude. In the summer, that's how I live, you know. You can't get those days back. So, you know, for someone like that, uh, it's, it's certainly a little bit harder. But even when I was working, you know, uh, restaurants or movie theaters or whatever, you see how hard some people work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, there's two types of people. People who say, you know, I can do that. You know, I'm willing to do that. Or people say, oh, that guy's crazy. What do you say to people, though, that say, um, hey, uh, just trying to look for some work-life balance? I'm very real. Like, not everyone is, is crazy to do this. You know, you can do this job and you can give it a half effort. And I, there's guys on my team who gave it a half effort this year who made 20 grand. And they, they know they put in a half effort because they made only 20 grand. When I, when I sit and I talk to people, I ask them, you know, where do you see yourself at the end of December? What are your goals? Because if someone says, oh, I want to pay for my school... Mm-hmm. Their goals are not big. Mm-hmm. If someone says, oh, "I want to get into real estate, I want to get a house, like I want to, I want to own a business," I'm like, "Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's start game planning this now." I talk to a lot of people like that, especially younger kids, because I was at that point too when I was, you know, 18. You know, I was cool with making 10 or 15, but when I really saw like the potential, that's when I took off with it. Do you have a Do you have a mantra that you live by? Yeah, and it's a little corny. It's seize the moment. People normally don't regret the decisions they make people normally regret the decisions they don't make i want to look back you know 10 20 30 years whatever and be like i'm glad i did the things that i did that's why i love this job because it really teaches you how valuable your time is mm-hmm. really really does like I, how so I, because you can you can accomplish so much in such a little time if you surround yourself with the right people and and you make those sacrifices to hit your goals if you have the confidence that you can do everything or anything, um, you, you can do that. So I was raised to believe that I could do everything and that I was capable of anything I set my mind to. If you're taught that you can't do anything, you won't do anything. So you just said, if you're told that you can't do like things, then, then you probably won't, mm-hmm. right? So um, I've noticed that in, in uh, culture that I was surrounded by growing up, a lot of people that come from those kinds of areas, uh, people have this thing that's called like I call it learned helplessness right when when there's a problem that arises instead of seeing it as something that needs to be hurdled and like so your mind automatically goes to problem solving solutions Mm -hmm. like what resources do you have how do you get over this instead of that it's like people have been conditioned to think that they can't do things and when that hurdle presents itself it looks like a wall Right. So I would say that that is like a mentality. If you're doing that, like if you do that consistently, if that's your thought process, I think that's learned helplessness. Um, you, you, you get uh, get where I'm going with that. 100%. And, and, and I'm sure you've heard uh, this before. The guy who says, he, you know, the guy who thinks he can and the guy who thinks he can't are both usually right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I grew up with a lot of dreams and ambitions as a kid. And, uh, you know, you kind of let that creativeness, you know, run. And, you know, you feel like you can do anything, but, you know, I, I hit hurdles sometimes and I feel like, you know, I can't do this. And then that's kind of when I have that, uh, self pep talk to myself, I'm my own biggest critic. Mm-hmm. Like there's, I have critics, you know, uh, but I'm my own biggest critic. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, if you're always critiquing yourself and you're just making yourself sharper and then you're going to eliminate a lot of those hurdles you would run into. Mm-hmm. Why would, so why would people not be critical of themselves I'm so critical of myself, I, I don't really see why someone wouldn't 
at all, but so it's, it's, it's a scaredness, you know, like, a, you know, people want to be comfortable. You know, I've learned to be, I've learned that my comfort zone is being uncomfortable. It took years. Um, but some people's comfort zone is all, only what they know. Okay. This is, this is a good one. So, um, what are you curious about right now? That's a great question, dude. I actually want to learn a lot of languages. Um, that's something I'm really curious about. I feel like, uh, if I could speak, I want to be able to speak Mandarin one day. I want to get my Spanish to fluency. You know, if if I only speak English, I can only communicate with so many people in this world. And Mm -hmm. if I'm a business owner, you know, like so many big, big, big business owners, they learn those other languages because it opens up so many more potential opportunities for them. It's like, dude, if you speak Mandarin, that's like half of the population, like close to half of the population in mm-hmm. the world almost. Mm-hmm. Like a few billion people that if you don't know, you can't communicate with. So that's a big thing for me. That's just a random thing. Uh, it's just okay. learning so, different languages. So you're going to learn the language. Have you seen the technology that they have to translate? Um, yeah. No, dude, I've gotten sales like that. Like with the phone out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. with the apps? That's so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then I've seen, I've been advertised. So once I, I don't know if it's because my phone knew that I was yeah. trying to translate into different languages or whatever. But I started getting advertised to by these like th- little things that you hold and it can do every different language. I feel like, I mean, tons of different languages. You can just speak into it, press the language that you want to tra- translate into and it'll just go. Same thing what I said earlier with, with the internet these days, dude. Mm-hmm. The bigger the internet gets, the smaller the need for school becomes because, dude, it's like, who would like who would go do a language class these days when I can go on Rosetta Stone or go on one of those apps mm-hmm. and teach myself? Right? Whatever the few dollars it costs. Well, okay, so let me play devil's advocate. So school teaches you how to learn. Like you have to meet deadlines. Another thing that's positive about school, the network that you build at school is is a huge asset to people that end up going, become part of fraternity or just going to that same large school, right? Um, So what would you say, what would your rebuttal be in that case? Um, I have buddies, dude, who, who are just, they just party, bro. And it doesn't matter that they're partying because they create massive networks. I see mm-hmm. what some of these guys do, uh, specifically guys in Denver, um, you know, other offices, um, just where there's a lot of frat boys and college guys, the, the networking is insane. Yeah. Bro. It's insane. Yeah. And that's something I don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have lots of different networks, but I feel like if I, if I was at college, like if I were to make any reason to go to college, it'd be networking 100%. Mm-hmm. Ne- you know, Same. That's how I thought network about it. Network is net worth. Yep. 100%. Yep. It's like, dude, you don't know what that one relationship you build could mean in 10 years. That could be everything. Yep. You know, you know, look at a guy like Gaines. You know, he went to school. He probably, most of the relationships he probably has are he didn't just go, he was really, I feel like he was really strategic about where he went to school because he went to ASU well, he surrounded He surrounded yep. himself with a lot of people because, uh, you know, I've heard of a lot of people knowing gains through mm-hmm. the law school and whatnot. Yep. So, uh, yeah, network is net worth. Um, so that I have no rebuttal to. I mean, if you're going, if you, honestly, if you're going to college to have a good time and build a network, I feel like that's honestly these days the the realest reason to go to school, to be honest. Like I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I could have some fun in school, but I'm way more focused on the bigger picture mm-hmm. than that. But dude, so what some of these guys do with recruiting out of those schools, man, like those frats are doing guys the biggest favors of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, it's amazing to see. Yep. I agree. I don't have, I, that's absolutely you recruit like one frat, you, you recruit one guy in a frat, dude, you might've just recruited 50 people. <laughs> yeah. You know, especially if they go out and crush it, they go, oh. Out, oh wait, you made uh 50, 50 grand last year as a rookie. And 50 like you grand go back to a to college your, kid is a million dollars. Yeah. 
Yeah, so much. That's so much beer and alcohol and liquor. <laughs> liquor. <laughs> that's all they spend their money on. But no, it, it's so true. But uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. There's College is really good for some people, but the majority of the people I know, they're like, well, I want to go to college, and it's because their parents told them they yep. had to go to college, and yeah. they're they have they they're there with a their heads unscrewed. Mm-hmm. They don't know why they're there. They're just there to be there. Just yep. say, oh, I went to college. It's one thing if you're like, no, I'm going to be a doctor. Oh no, I'm going to be a lawyer. This is what I'm going to do. This is why I'm going to school. But if it's just like, oh, I'm just here collecting debt, that's cool, you mm-hmm. know. And that's that happens to be a lot of the people I know because. You know, you grow up in this society where, you know, college, you know, is if you don't go to college, you might be looked down upon. It's like, why aren't you going to college? That's what you need to do. So that's why it's crazy where people are like, dude, how are you 20? You dropped out and you make this happen. It's like, dude, there's so many people who go and they get a degree and then whatever line of work they end up doing has nothing to do with the degree they got. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just like, dude, college, I know so many guys who are like 28, 30, you know, so many people I've met who said college was the number one thing that held them back. Um, and it's normally people who go to business school that I find hmm. um, because... But yeah, why? Just because there's nothing you really get out of it, dude. Like you can watch five YouTube videos and you just learn more than you just did in a semester of business school, in my opinion. Some people are going to say that that's stupid. But realistically, that, you know, uh, when you go... I've I've My buddies have told me what they do at school. You go in the... And they'll play, dude, sometimes the professors play videos from YouTube to teach you about yeah. business. Like, why am I not doing this on my own dime? Why am I paying to do this? So it really just becomes what your why is for college. If you don't have a why, you shouldn't be there. And I feel like a 30 or 40% of the people in college are just there to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't really have a why. I, I can agree with and that. They're, yeah. And they're just killing their time. Yeah. Yep. But, if, but if, dude, if you're working and you're doing a part-time job and you're studying and you're going towards a degree, like, more power to you. Uh, the decision that they go in there making very often is not going to pay them a wage that they're going to be happy with ever. Like, do you, do you get what I'm saying 100%. there? I feel like it's really frustrating for me understanding a little bit more about how the economy works and be like, well, you just went to school for a degree that, like, they, first of all, a bunch of people went to school for that degree. There's not a ton of jobs in that field that Teacher. you went to school for. Teachers, one of them. A lot of people go into arts and things like that because they're passionate about it. And And when they end up getting out of school... It's, it's tough. They got a ton of debt. And then the jobs they're applying for, they're competing against a ton of other people that went to school for that same exact reason, like the exact same reason. And then they, they, and they just got these bills that they've got to pay every month. And the income that they're going to get is crap. Like, it's, it's crap, man. Like, yeah. I'm talking like $35,000 a year, like entry from your bachelor's degree. Most people who go to college like being told what to do. Maybe like, 40000 <laughs> um, But it's like, dude. One thing that I've, I've seen from guys like Mark Cuban, uh, it's normally the people who don't go to college who are hiring people who, need, who have specific degrees. I've heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it, it, bro, it's like, and not to say this is for everyone, but yeah. people who go to college a lot of times like being told what to do and they can't actually get stuff done without, without having the deadlines. Like you said, being taught how to learn. Like some people can't excel without this, that system around them. Mm-hmm. And some people are do-it-yourselfers. Everybody's different, you know. The, the sooner you figure out what you want to do, time is money, man. My little brothers, what I try and do is I'm always asking them, like, what, what's your plans? What are you going to do? I, well, I don't know. Well, that's not good. What do you mean you don't know? Just putting pressure on them, you know. And that kind of makes them start to think harder about things. Mm-hmm. What are you not good at? There's a lot of things I'm not good at, but I'm... Um, Sometimes I'm not good at listening because I'm just... A, no, I don't need pest control. <laughs> um, no, sometimes I'm a terrible listener. Uh, Boyd and Chaz will tell you that. Uh, 
there's just some subjects that I just didn't understand. Like I, like in high school, you don't learn how to do your taxes. You don't learn how to write a check. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of things you don't learn how to do. And they're teaching you things that you will never, ever, ever need to learn. So I started figuring that out when I was like 15 and I'm like, why am I here? I literally thought when I was 15 years old, I said, okay, what is a high school diploma? Because this is how kind of how I broke it down. This is why I dropped out of high school because a lot of people are just, they're doing a bunch of drugs and they just can't go to school anymore. Yeah, yeah. For me, I really, really broke it down. I'm like, okay, I don't want to go to college. Okay. Uh, so what is the high school diploma going to do for me if I'm not going to college? Because that's what most people do. You could graduate high school to go to college. Mm-hmm. So what is the high school diploma going to do for me that wouldn't? So I started doing all this research. There's hardly any jobs in this planet that you need a high school diploma for that you couldn't get hired without a high school diploma. It's either you need college education or you don't really need education. I'm like, okay, I don't want to go to college. So I dropped out of high school. I'm like, I don't need, I don't need a piece of paper that tells people what I'm capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause dude, I was so like, I, like I said, I, had, I still have an airhead. Um, but I'm listening to all these guys, all these successful guys. I'm like, if they're, if they're doing it and they didn't go to school and they know what they're doing, I'm reading all these books, you know, like learning, I learned more from a few sales books than I did in, in my whole life in school. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so it's just, I think the agenda, like, it, it, it works for some people who are learned that way. Like, that's why I said it's not for everybody because there's mm-hmm. a lot of kids who, and I think that the education system is outdated, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because if you look back uh, 1800s, it was the same exact education system we have today. I think it needs to be a little more hands-on and a little more realistic of things that actually happen in real life. Because at least in the high school I went to, everyone who even graduates high school, they're still not prepared for anything because everything they teach in there doesn't matter. So it's like, you know, you're going there to get your check mark to go to college. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going there. So what do I need this for? Just, I got to start on things when I was really young. And that's why I'm, I'm at where I'm at now. But, you know, it's like you look at like, I don't remember exactly how old Ty Lopez was. But he, I think it was like 24, 25 or something. When what happened? Um, his story, I oh, guess. Oh, on the couch, when he was on the couch? Yeah, when he's on yeah, the couch and, his, and he looked at his account and it's like negative 40 bucks or 20 bucks. It's negative something. And he's mm-hmm. just like, okay, this is the day where shit changes. You know, within a few years he got to where he got. So it doesn't really matter where you are or how old you are. You can have a shift, you know, it's just about taking control of your own life. I agree. I agree. Dude, a lot of um, people, it's, it, dude, it's scary to take control of your own life because you got to take, you have to have a lot of faith and just, and sometimes. Oh yeah, this is it, man. So when you're talking about these things, like uh, college teaches you to be an employee, to go work for somebody, like that's a formula that a lot of people want because there's guaranteed income there. And the, the trade-off on the, in the business world, we happen to work for, is there, is there another pest control company door to door that's not in debt? Is there one, right? Where the are we the only non in debt pest control company like that does door to door in the US? We might be. It might be an actual thing, right? So I mean we do we do it right, right? We deliver quality and that's that that works well. But as far as uh, people that end up have having a job where they, they tell other people what to do and they're the ones in charge, they're the boss, those people they don't see returns on their money sometimes. They don't see returns for their work for sometimes I mean, five, 10 plus years, it can go, it can go way past that. Um, so, I mean, I understand why people want to go the safe route. I don't, 
because I don't want to go that route, right? Because I'm, I'm willing to discipline myself, I think, so the world doesn't have to discipline me, right? That's a formula that I feel like happens. Um, but I feel like that's, that's important to a lot of people. They want a paycheck. They want to go into work, get told what to do, go back home, pay their bills. And hey, those people are happy. Yeah. A lot of those people are happy. Yeah. Which at the end of the day, if it makes you happy, you know, that, do that. Um, you know, I know people who, uh, have, who get by their whole entire life and they're happy as can be with their situation because um, they're not working cr- like crazy. They're just doing what they have to do. They're happy with it. Yeah. For me, I grew up and it's, it's different, dude. Like I, I grew up with nothing but a basketball. Like that's the one thing I freaking had when I was a kid is basketball and a shirt on my back. And so yeah, I, wanted, play, I wanted everything. We got to play hold up before we move on past this basketball yeah. thing. All right. Talk, so what, what position did you play? Uh, I played uh, combo guard. So sometimes I'd play point. Sometimes I'd play shooting guard, depending on who else is on our team. What kind of player were you? Oh, hundred percent ball hog. Ball. <laughs> oh, bro, I, I grew up watching Kobe and Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady. Like, uh, I, I mean, not to say I didn't pass, but I definitely was a ball hog. You know, okay. I wanted, I wanted that attention. I wanted, I always felt like I was the best player on the team. So I was like, if anyone's taking the majority of the shots, it's going to be me. Uh, okay. Do you, got just, a J, do you have a J or did you drive? Uh, mostly drive, but I had a J, but it wasn't anything special. Like if I was open, I'd hit shots, but it's not like I was just like a mid range beast. Where do you think your competitive nature came from? Uh, so when I, when I grew up, um, as a young kid, I was always, you know, I I was bullied quite a bit. A lot of people go through that at some point in their life. Um, when I moved from California to Utah, that was the most adversity I've ever hit in my life. Hmm. Uh, got bullied a lot. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, too too skinny, too slow. That kind of all built into me, and then uh, I just kind of wanted to prove everybody wrong. When I step on the basketball court, dude, it's like, and by no means am I saying I'm the best player, but I will try the hardest. I do give the most effort on the court, so I always get fouled out of games. Always, like I'm like the Patrick Beverly, like getting fouled out of games. <laughs> I just chirping, dude. Like I'll be chirping at the ref, chirping at the other coach, all the kids, just because I get so into the game. Uh, I love all the elements of the game. The game itself, the trash talk, just because I feel like basketball is is just as mental and physical as it's it's just as mental as it is physical. Mm. You know, like there's amazing players, and I feel like guys who have a lot of talent, but they don't uh, mentally focus as much. And then you have guys who make the league, and they're not really as talented. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, guys who just slip into the league because they work so hard because they're just so mentally. Focus, but dude, I love watching Russell Westbrook play in his intensity, and I just kind of try to. And Kobe Bryant's intensity too. Kobe was more of a shooter. I mean, he did everything. You know, I always had better success driving to the basket because I'm really good at finishing with contact. And dude, it's like if you're a point guard and you're driving in, taking layups, you know, floaters, whatever, you're gonna get a lot of calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of guys aren't. Dude, I went from playing b- football to basketball, so it's like. And, dude, I was so, like, I'm skinny right now, but I was so much skinnier when I was, like, in middle school. Dude, I would get trampled on the football field, like, so bad, just concussion, concussion, concussion. what position? Uh, Dude, I played QB for a little bit. I played wide receiver. They switched me from quarterback because I got two concussions. Dang. Yeah. So. Did you get, were you sacked or were you running? Sacked. Both times. Um, So hard, like, blindside sack. Like, like, didn't even know what happened. Um, When I went into basketball, it just felt like I, I, I mean, I, I played basketball beforehand, but like when I started playing it like more like competitively, uh, just being used to that contact in football, mm-hmm. I kind of s- s- saw that out in basketball because a lot of guys play like princesses like on the basketball court, and 
that I don't know, dude. I feel like the more physicality you bring to the game, it does a lot. Like it gets more out of you, but it also makes your opponent like have to play a certain different type of way. Like yeah. if I'm getting a bunch of free throws, um, the guy has to play off of me. And, and so if I'm driving and I get three uh, possessions in a row, I get fouled. He's going to sag off and I'm going to shoot on the next, you know. So it's just a mm-hmm. mental thing. Like I'm always thinking about stri- stri- uh, strategically, you know, what to do. But, yeah, man, I mean, as far as all that goes, the competitiveness just came from, uh, you know, I, as a kid, dude, I built up so much. Uh, just everything everything that happened to me, I kind of took, I took everything around and just turned it into motivation. And that motivation turned into competitiveness. Um, and anything I do, man, like if it's a, it's a board game, it's a video game, it's a, like, dude, when we were in Hawaii, we were running, dude. Like, we were doing this. Like, Cam was like, oh, Tristan, I'll beat you in a race. I'm like, dude, like, I, bullshit. Oh, I saw that. I I'm saw like, you won't beat I me saw in a race. Um, yeah, it was fun. And Cam's fast, man. He's a football player. Yeah, like, Cam he, is he was fast. good from he what is, I heard. He is fast. And he cheated. No, I'm just, um, and he lost. I said, <laughs> it um, was really close. I saw that you pulled out. No, dude, it's, but dude, like, I love Cam, though. He's super competitive. But that's why, uh, dude, that's why the, the, the company is what it is, man. Like, I wouldn't like, I feel like the top 10, like, like everyone helps each other in the top 10 because like, if you want to be the number one guy, you have to pass everybody else. And if everyone else is doing crazy, you have to be even crazier. So yeah, like it's like, I wasn't dude, by the end of the summer, it's just funny because I don't think about money in the summer at the end of August. I'm like looking at my revenue and I'm like, damn, like it, it hit. Hey, what uh, what'd you do in what'd you do in revenue this past year in 2019? Six sixty, six hundred and sixty dollars, <laughs> six hundred and sixty thousand, my friend. Six hundred sixty thousand on the doors selling pest control. Let's go. Yeah. Um, all right, I got another question for you. So we've re- you can, I'm I'm gonna not allow you to say the same thing that you've said before, which is uh, you talked about school. So you got okay. got to give me a different okay. answer. Got you. Tell me something that's true that pretty much nobody agrees with you on? Um, You are the perception of your thoughts. And that, um, what I mean by that is that, and at least from my experience, anything that you think you can do or anything that you set out is possible. So for me, it's like, um, and and, and even my own parents don't agree with me on this. Like a lot of people, it's kind of a traditional way of thinking. When I go to Miami the first time and I saw this different lifestyle of how these people live, I'm like, this, you know, this is what I want. I'm like, this, I, I can do this. I envision it. You know, you can, you can do whatever you set out to do. So if your thoughts all day long are, is this what I'm going to do? This is how I'm going to do it. And this is why I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. If your thoughts are, this is why I can't, maybe this will happen. Uh, you know, just thinking of excuses, uh, you're not going to get things done. But some people think, like a lot of people think that I'm just like naturally like good at these things, but it, it just because they don't see the years and years and years and years and years that went into where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Um, but dude, like you can accomplish anything you set your mind to, and a lot of people don't believe that, dude. Like, what what made Elon Musk Elon Musk? Like he's just not born that way. Like he, he set out, he made the crazy goals. And people think he's insane. And when he hits those ideas, he's not insane anymore. He's a genius. Mm-hmm. So when you set out crazy ideas, like you sound insane. And but if you achieve those ideas, you're a genius. It's funny how that works. Like, uh, <laughs> what did people say when they found out you were going door to door to sell pest control? And you left your other job for it. My dad was 
he thought I was a dumbass. Um, he's like, you have a good, like, long-term thing here. Like, you're going to move up in this restaurant. You're making good money. Just keep on doing what you're doing now with your side hustles and stuff. And uh, I'm just like, no, this is, I feel like, I really feel like this is it for me. Dude, it's, it's, it's funny, like we were talking about earlier, just the, what the perception people have of door-to-door. I, I love talking to people about it because they always assume the worst. Like, sometimes people will see my car and they'll ask, what do you, what do, you do? Oh, I do door-to-door sales. They're like, no, what do you actually do? <laughs> There, there we go. <laughs> That's good. That's good. What's something that you wish you would have known when you first started out? Well, for me, like I said, I started in the middle of May. I wish I had known about EcoShield a few months before the summer because just to prepare. And a lot of guys who are signed on, they already know about EcoShield, but they're not preparing like they need to be mm-hmm. before the summer. My rookie year, I made 60K and hardly over th- about three months of knocking, was starting out knowing nothing. So I look at it like if I had more preparation and I had known what's going on, and it's not like there wasn't, tra- I, I found out about it so late. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lesson you can learn from it is there's so many rookies who, oh, I'm going to be a top rookie, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. They're just talking. Um, and they're not actually going to, the guys who are going to be top rookies are the ones who don't say anything about it. I love when people just go around and be, I want to be number one rookie because it's like, no, you're not. I promise you won't be. I'm going to sell a, a thousand accounts my first year. Yeah. Yeah, that right. one. yeah. No, I just, I just love to see. I mean, it's good because, you know, the rookies have a big head and they're confident and that's a good thing to go yeah, into. But yeah. it's just funny to see how many guys think that and then they get that rude awakening. One thing that helped my rookie year was not knowing every little thing because I didn't overcomplicate or overthink things. I just went into it mm. so tunnel vision, like, like, there's just no questions to be asked. I'm like, okay, this is the schedule we work. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. It would have been nice to know that there was training videos and a manual. That would have been cool. <laughs> hey, 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 while we're on this topic, a uh, question I wanted to ask you. So has your success up to this point been uh, more luck or hard work and why? Both. I think that everyone uh, being successful takes a little bit of luck. But I think the luck comes with the hard work. So I don't think you just get lucky and things play out the way they do. I got lucky by hearing about EcoShield. So that's how I consider myself lucky is getting the opportunity. And then I ran with it, which is where the hard work comes in. So it's, it's a balance of both. But it's mostly hard work, man. Because like I said, like uh, this is why I love training rookies. and love talking to guys who just sometimes are in their head. Because it's like, dude, like I can relate so much. Because I remember my first week as a rookie, I just... And I just remember seeing everyone else in the room around me. I, I really knew I was the worst. It, was, it wasn't even close. Like it, everyone else knew that too, that I was the worst. Like some guys are looking at me like, why is this guy even here? What, what is this joke? Um, and that's fine because that gave me even more fuel to mm-hmm. prove those people wrong. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, the luck, luck comes with opportunities and some people don't take those opportunities. So you're letting your luck pass by. Um, and yeah, I mean, here's another thing to make it even more simple. It's like, dude, if I'm working really hard, if I'm knocking the most doors a day out of everyone in the company, I'm going to get lucky sales, right? Mm-hmm. So it goes hand in hand because it's like, if I put in one more hour a day than everyone else does all summer long, that's 100 hours, and that 100 hours, I'm going to get a lot of lucky sales. I'm going to knock on a lot of people who need pest control. That happens. Mm-hmm. You know, people, some people can lie about it, some won't. A lot of sales we get are lucky sales, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So it's like you, you have to put yourself in that position to get lucky, though, which requires hard work. 
So. Okay. I love it. And then, hey, for somebody in your position, as far as sales go, where you've, you've risen to the level that you have as a salesman, uh, what did you look to for sales training? Um, who, like who, what books impacted you? What, what really helped you develop yourself as a salesman? I'll be honest, man. I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm lacking the books and the knowledge. I, I'm trying to get better at that now. Dude, as a salesman, it's, 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 the, it's the mental approach. Like my, my whole thing, my rookie year, and it hasn't changed since, is to be the first one on the doors and be the last one home because that does two things. I'm working the hardest and I'm learning the quickest. So my rookie year, I felt like I learned a lot more than a lot of the other guys that summer because I was working so much harder. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Um, any, any, any sales training, like anything you remember that like helped you put together your natural ability with, with some kind of technique? Is there anything that comes to mind outside of what I, what you're saying? I understand that that's the largest, largest part, right? Uh, first now the doors last one off and everything you just said is congruent. Is there anything outside of that? Is there any, any training? Um, a lot of it I got from guys in EcoShield, man. So, and, and like, I take something from everyone in EcoShield. The guys might not even know it. Like, I, I learn from everyone in the entire company. Like, you might get a fifth of the sales of me. I can learn something from you. Uh, with your name out there a good amount at this point and people knowing about Tristan from afar a lot of times, what's one, what's one misconception you feel like, you know, seems to happen a decent amount about you? Uh, people think I'm like a demigod or something. I, I train a lot of 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-olds. I train people older than me, and they're just like, man, I just wish I could do what you do, and that fucking pisses me off. I'm like... Dude, set your alarm clock to when you set my alarm clock and make the sacrifices I make, and there you go. People are always like, when I'm training, especially experienced guys, like, oh, mm-hmm. man, like, I just wish I was as talented as you. And it kind of it discredits, like, the work that I put in. Like, oh, you're just like, it's kind of like take, like, a LeBron James or a Kobe Bryant. People just say, oh, they're just born so good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not, you know, and, and it's like, no. Like, w- what makes it so... Uh, spectacular to be those guys is that they got to that level from all the work that they put in because mm-hmm. it's like I try to relate with a lot of people and most people get that but a lot of people just like they don't have enough confidence to believe that they can do what I'm doing mm-hmm. so I try to open their eyes for that and some people just really think that I you can do this but I can't okay so you're saying that people sometimes think that you just get it easy it just comes to you whereas they they discredit all the work that you've done they they don't know yeah like some you know that doesn't it doesn't like I don't care what people think of me but if I'm trying to train a guy and he's like oh uh you know I just like because I try to like people think that there's another thing people like always tell me like oh what's the secret sauce what do you say what what do you do I do the same thing as you, bro. I do the same thing as you. You just need to get more creative. Um, Because some guys just think that the job is just knocking. Dude, there's so much, like, you can go home for hours that night and put in so much work that will help you the next day. Just mental preparation. It might be watching videos. It might be looking at area on your phone. Um, It could be, dude, it could be so much, like, I'll stay up all night, like, stamping flyers and doing stuff for the next day. And... Like I'll go out really early in the morning sometimes and fly our doors for a few hours before uh, I'll start knocking. If yeah, I heard about this, I heard yeah. about this. So, so what, what what brought that on? Um, okay, so my first year, uh, Chaz Wright, he uh, and this is something he kind of learned from Boyd. Boyd is like really good with uh, phone sales and getting flyers, and it's dude. This is something that I actually think the whole company needs to hear. So I'll, I'll kind of go in on this right now. So my rookie year, 
Chaz was constantly getting phone sales. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, this is like this guy, like, is the office referring this guy phone sales? And he's just like, um, all summer long, they're like, dude, leave out flyers. I'm like, bro, who the hell calls from a flyer? Like, if you see a flyer in your door, the first thing you do is throw it in the trash. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? My rookie year, I didn't leave out a flyer. I didn't leave out one. Um, and Chaz, all that off season, just kind of, uh, you know, he's like, dude, you got to use flyers. Boyd's saying the same thing. You got to use flyers. How so. many do you think, how many phone sales do you think he got from leaving flyers? Chaz, that, my rookie year, he probably got 30 or 40. Okay. So my, my second year, I flyered like crazy. I probably got a hundred phone sales my second year. Yeah. It's, it, dude, Dang. dude, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And this year I probably got 200 phone sales. So yeah, no kidding. But a lot of those are people I already pitched. I'd say half of those are raw calls. Like this year, I probably got a hundred phone calls from people I did not talk to that got my flyer who wanted service, but I had to leave out tens of thousands of flyers to get that. But that doesn't, dude, here's the thing. If you're knocking doors, it blows my mind how many guys will go up on the door and especially on a buggy house, knock it, no one answers, they leave. So you just wasted your entire time there. Leaving the flyer does more than one thing. You go back and you knock that door, it gives you credibility. Like, hey, I'm the guy who left the flyer. I've been trying to catch you home. Automatically, they're going to hear you out. They want to know what you have to say. Because like, oh, yeah, I did see that. Well, what's up? Dude, a lot of guys are like, does that even work? And that's kind of what I was thinking with Chaz's whole thing. But in the last two summers, I've gotten about 300 phone sales. I had a few wow. days this summer. So like what I was telling you, when I was out done knocking for like, when I was out of knocking for two weeks in June, mm -hmm. um, in that two-week span, I still got about 15 accounts from phone sales just from home in that two-week span. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. That's as much as, as some people do I had knocking. I had a nine spot this I, one day this summer. I wasn't on the doors. I had a nine spot from phone sales. Got nine phone calls. What? Hey, Dude, so what? Here's, here's what really you blew your mind. You made nine phone sales in a day? Here's the thing. If it's May 1st, right, and you're leaving out flyers all the time and you're talking to everybody and you're giving your number to everybody and you're telling people, hey, if, if anyone needs pest control, like, dude, especially as you who lives in Detroit as a business owner, dude, there's such a big, Miami gets thousands of phone sales, thousands, because they know how to market. Like the flyers, dude, it's like, if you're going to have guys out there knocking, like let them market for not only themselves, but for the company. Um, it, like in flyering, it really teaches you how to manage area because you can see who's been home if your flyer's been taken off the door. Um, and it's really good to keep notes with, like, oh, we left them a flyer. Um, and people always, you always get more credibility. because like, hey, I've been trying to catch you guys. So you were starting to say it, and I think I kind of cut you off earlier. So you, you said that you would leave early? Yeah. So, I, so some days, like, not every day, but some days if I'm, you know, up early and I want to get out, and, it, and I feel like it's a little too early to hit some doors. I'll just leave out flyers for half an hour. And if I'm just flyering for half an hour, I can leave out a few hundred flyers in half an hour. What, what, jogging door to door. What's the earliest time that you feel comfortable knocking? Um, in, uh, in Mania, the, the earliest I've knocked is 7 a.m. Uh, okay, I couldn't go earlier than that. Did you knock every door? Did you look for signs of life? Um, I did look for signs of life. Yeah, like open garages. So, so for example, if I uh, am in Mania or Shield and I need to get out early, I'll I'll do it strategically. Like I'll go to an old folks' home. They're all up at five a.m. playing tennis. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to go to the you know the middle aged people and wake up all the kids. I go to the old folks' home in the morning if I'm going to knock really early, mm -hmm. and they're always very receptive. Dude, they're reading the paper, on, drinking coffee at six a.m. Yeah. So it's like you go there at seven and they're already in their element. You know. Okay. I. 
I, I think to log that away. Yeah, no, it, like if guys ever want to start early and they're like mentally like, well, I don't know, man, I don't want to make people mad. Send them to an old folks home. Right, but you found out where the old folks home was the night before or the night before yeah. that when you got home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah how did just, you, how, you find out where the old folks home was? Well, just, I mean, I mean I've been in the same market for three years, so I kind of know what most of the neighborhoods are because mm-hmm. I've knocked in some old folks neighborhoods. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to one of those old folks neighborhoods because you'll drive past. It's a 55 plus community. Mm-hmm. You know, you probably see those, a lot of those here. Yeah. And uh, dude, those are my, some of my favorite places to knock, dude. Well, they don't want to do it themselves at that point, right? They no, no, no. It and, but it's like, it's like uh, they just love to see young kids out there hustling too. So I was getting on doors around 730 every day in the morning in March and I'd always start in the old people's home. And I and I got my first door. So my first knocking day in 2019 was March 6th. This is like my proudest stat of the whole summer. For for not three weeks, but for like 17, my first 17 days or something this summer, the streak ended on the 23rd or the 24th. I sold my first door every day. Like literally, like not not the first one I, like not the first one I knocked, the, like, the, like the, or the first one that answers, the first one that's the owner, like the first door. Because what I would do is I'd do it strategically. So I'd go to the old folks, and it was in the old folks every single time for the two weeks. And then finally there was one guy I just couldn't close, and he broke my streak. But <laughs> I, would, I would look around for the, the open garage, the signs of life, mm-hmm. find a buggy home, the one that I haven't been able to catch before, and be like, that's got to be a deal, if anything. Really try and find the, like, if you're in a neighborhood and, and you already have sales in that neighborhood and you knocked there before, you already have a good feel and a good grip Mm-hmm. For for what's in there, so I look for a home that I feel like I have the my best chance of selling, and then, you know, normally I'm right. I get that home, and it's like when you're one for one, dude, at seven thirty a.m., you've set yourself up for a huge day. So that's what's going on when I've seen your name that early in the day. I I, I understand now. Yeah, dang. Okay, I love that. And I also saw you showed me uh, when just driving around that batch geo uh-huh. of how yeah. dense your customers are. So man, you don't leave hoods. Um, no, I, all my customers were in about five neighborhoods this summer, all like 750 or whatever it was like in five neighborhoods, literally like each one I probably got, there's one neighborhood I got about 130 deals in there's, um, like, but it's even funny because if I go back the last two summers, all my sales from last two summers are only from like 10 collected neighborhoods. Cause I find what I like, dude, when you build a buzz in a neighborhood, you can get it almost every single door. Like find like what guys do too often when it burns area two is they just like they just go through and they hit a few doors and they whatever for whatever reason they bounce somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just buckle down, it does so much for you because you learn the neighborhood. You you become more confident because you've gone there so many times and you've sold so many people there. So you just you're going back into your like home arena. Mm-hmm. You know, look at it like every time you go into a neighborhood with no customers, you're going to an away game. So if I'm pulling mm-hmm. up in the gate and the guard's like, "Oh yeah, what's up, bro?" You know, yeah, you, you know, you don't need to tell me where you're going. I already know you. You do all the homes here. It's like I'm already in my bag at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, you know, if you take good notes in your phone, like how many people do you talk to that say come back in a month? A lot. Do you write that in your note? Like, come back in one month? You probably don't because it's like you think they're blowing you off. Sometimes on a Saturday I go back. Sometimes My, to a few of them. The the one thing that I get so many sales is, is persistency. If someone says come back in a month, I put I go like the second they say that I go on my calendar. I put the alert in the exact time. I'm like I will be here in one month. Are you being serious with me? When I first came out here, check this story out. So there were, I was never invited to an interview. I was never invited to an interview. 
I just tagged along with two people who were invited to an interview. I was never invited to an interview. So I went with them to get some free protein. Uh, then, like I said, I met Gaines. I saw that I was able to write my own checks. I was so down. I was so sick of striving for what I thought was excellence just because that's the kind, even though I didn't know so much that I didn't know and I'm still learning all the time, like physically, I would, I would like aesthetically strive for the things that I understood in life. I would strive for excellence, right? Um, so when I, when I ended up going to these jobs where everybody's getting paid the exact same and I, I wanted to, like, I knew that my name was attached to what I was doing and I would work way harder and do a lot more than the people next to me. It was incredibly frustrating. So when Gaines told me I could write my own check, I was down, right? Then I was, I was over at the ASU campus. These are the good old, uh, Gotcha. Days. <clears throat> but once again, I love my days now more. Um, <laughs> uh, so we were going to go out to the summer for the summer in like three weeks. I think that's the time frame, right? Okay. I told these guys that two weeks before the summer started. So we were, you know, I was, I was literally 18 years old. We were partying. Okay. Yeah. We were having a good time. I told them two weeks before the summer started, done. No more partying, nothing. No more smoking weed, no more drinking. Like I was geared up and I, I didn't have any training material or anything, but I was mentally getting prepared like you're talking about. Yeah. So two weeks before, uh, we typically would have a, a routine at night where we smoked weed, right? Two weeks before, I said, hey, we, you know, we talked about this. No like, more. No more. Uh, then one of them, uh, who shall remain nameless because they owe me a bunch of money. And uh, anyway, I'm a little bitter about the situation. Uh, messed up my credit a little bit. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, so he was like, uh, dude, but it's going to be the best because we know that tonight's going to be the last time that we smoke. Like, it'll be the best high ever. And I was like... Sold. I was like, dang, man. <laughs> I was like, this is about to be a good high. Roll it up. Let's get a fatty going. So we did. Okay. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Great time. Okay? So I was like, dang, I had a last hurrah, right? Next night, what do you know? Same conversation goes down. But I was not with it because I told him, I was like, yeah. bro, we had this conversation last night. We smoked our last one. We smoked it. Uh, so I stopped smoking. Both of them kept smoking, the two guys I tagged along for the interview. Um, they came out to Chicago. I came out to Chicago. I went over to, to see what they were doing because they weren't knocking. The apartment smelled just dank. Just smelled like smelled like a hot box and a half in there. Yeah. Um, so these these two guys made a total of zero sales. The only call that I got from them during the day, one time they one of them did knock, and they called. <laughs> <laughs> and one I've been them, there. And that one called me. And that one called me. And uh, sorry, this is worth. He called me and he said, "He's. I swear to God, this is real." He called me after training, after all this stuff. He's out there knocking. He's in his uniform, and he's like, "Hey," he's like, "Bro." I uh, nobody's home right now. I just this door just is like opened, and I can see, I can see a bunch of change on a dresser. I can see a bunch of change, and I was like, I was like, what? You, uh, what? He's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, bro, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. I was like, what? I was like, no. Hey, I was like, dude, you, you should just make a sale. Yeah. You, you like, you should just make a sale instead of stealing that change, and you'll make more money off that sale, and potentially not get a felony charge. Did he take the change? I don't know. I don't, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I hung up the phone before. I was on the phone with him while he was doing what he did. Yeah. But let's anyway, hope he did it. So that, uh, our, anyway, so shout out to those two guys. Um, and that, that is, reminds me of a funny story. Hit me with it. So my second year, it's, uh, it's like mid-April. 
guy hits me up that I know in Utah, says, uh, hey, man, you know, I want to know more about what you're doing. I send him all the pay scale, all this stuff. I go on a quick call with him. I'm like, hey, this is what it is. You know, you cut your own check. You know, a lot of people fail this job. It's very self-motivating. You need to be a hard worker for this. This is, you know, it's not for everybody. So, oh, perfect. This is what I need, right? He's like, stoked. I'm like, this is one of those guys. Where I'm like, yeah, I got a good recruit right here. Let's go. So I think the next day he starts driving to Florida. And let me have you know, this is a three-day drive. It's an expensive drive. It, it, it's not just mentally, but physically, it's, it's, it's a drive and a half. You pay for two hotels on the way, a lot of food, a lot of gas. It's an investment. So I love that because it mentally buys me in, right? Mm-hmm. So this guy, he does all that. He gets there. He gets there late at night, shows up to the apartment full of guys. First thing he says, and you guys know where I can get some Coke? So uh, they didn't, but he was able to find Coke within an hour. He just started Florida. <laughs> he does a ton of Coke that night, like a ton of Coke that night. He wakes up the next morning, and he's just like, fuck this job. He didn't, knock, he didn't even ever put on an EcoShield <laughs> shirt one time. He gets back in the car, drives back to Utah. Great decision. Great he decision. He drove all the way to Miami to do a bunch of Coke, drove right back home the next morning. I, I think it's the most hysterical. I didn't. I didn't spend any time just training him or anything, so it's, it's fine. I was going to take him out and knock with him that day, and I go to the apartment. He's gone. I'm like, "Where is this guy?" And they're like, "You left." I'm like, "Where?" U- Utah. I'm like, "What?" Like, he hasn't knocked a door yet. Um, <laughs> I think that's dude. Literally, it's like it's different if it's a flight, dude. This guy drives all the way there. He's like bought in, dude. Oh my god. I don't know what it was, but. Yeah, just funny. Hey, what you got? I got finessed. You got finessed? Funny thing through EcoShield. Okay. It's like a weekend. It's my year two. We're at these apartments. This kid who lives in Florida, our age, comes up to me. He's like, hey, what do you guys do? You know? Says, yeah, he just said, I just moved here. I'm like, okay. You know, we start talking to him. And he's like, okay, like, I don't have a job. Like, what, what do you guys do? He, like, he literally just walks up to us when we're at the pool. So I start talking to him. He lives in the same apartment complex as us. I'm like, okay, well, this, you know, this is the very beginning of May. So I'm like, okay, you know, this could work. And uh, he seems like a sharp kid. He's like, yeah, you know, I want to make music. I want to, I want to make rap music, but I know that I need to have money to do that. Mm -hmm. Basically, he, he, uh, before I signed him or anything, or even before we got in super depth about EcoShield, he gave me this big, big sob story about uh, his life. And, you know, it wasn't like a sob story. You know, he, had, he told me his life story was hard. Mm-hmm. He had a hard upcoming. Um, and and he just kept on talking about how bad he wants to be uh, a rapper. And I'm like, okay, like, you have a why. You, you're a very talkable person. Like, I feel like this, you know, talking to this kid, he's like very approachable guy, very talkable, like, seems like a bright kid. Um, before I sign him i'm like you know what you're already in florida let me just take you out for a day so you can get a taste of this so you can know what you're in for we go into my car pick him up he literally (laughs) it took me a few days to really figure this out but basically this kid steals my beats by dre headphones in my car and i never see him again (laughs) dude (laughs) so he never talked to him again Finesse the hell out of me. I so I dropped wow. this kid off in a neighborhood, right? And uh, I realized that my beats were gone after I dropped them off. And I'm like, oh, 
like they were literally right there like 10 minutes before. I'm like, okay, like maybe he accidentally thought, took him. Drive over to where I dropped him off. Kid is nowhere to be seen, dude. Never saw him again. Like didn't know what apartment he lived in our apartment complex, but he lived like in our same building. <laughs> he stole your beats? Dude, yeah, yeah. Never saw him again. Oh, he sounds like a, a hard, a hard ass rapper, man. Man. Ugh. My gosh, bro. My gosh. All right, hey, um, if there was, so this one's, this is an interesting one. Um, if there was going to be, actually, the question starts out this way. So if there, like the world ended, mm-hmm. uh, as far as like civilization goes and all the technology and stuff, right? People are still around, but all the history and, and books. We and go dad, back into all the gone. Stone Age. Back into the Stone Age, okay? So we're there. Okay. There's one book. It's about Tristan's life. Okay. What's it called, and what do we find in there? That's an awesome question. Yeah. Dude. So, um, I, <laughs> I just think it's funny how it's like we're back to the Stone Age, and there's just one. Book. There's one book. It's, okay. it's like, <laughs> yo. So, so is it about? Did I write it, or is it about? No, me? it's about Tristan. So I didn't write it. Yeah, you didn't write. Okay. It. Um. I wanted to say something humble, but rags to riches. I, I feel I that. I don't care. Rags to riches and what do we find in there? Um, a really good story. Um, but for me, it'd be, you know, uh, whoever wrote it, you know, it, it'd be about uh, cards I was dealt and how I came up and whatnot and a lot of things I learned at a very young age, but the whole point of it would be to help people like you know in this whatever grow up in those situations kind of give hope because when you see someone that you can relate to who's making it happen it it, it, kind of shows you that it's real Mm -hmm. it's like wait you can put yourself in those those shoes so it's like um it's the same thing when i joined eco shield i saw what all these other guys were doing i'm like okay i put myself in their shoes and I just tried to implement what they were doing. But yeah, you know, uh, that book would just be about um, making the most out of every day and just uh, really giving it your all and just trying to get the biggest beast out of you because I think that everyone has a, you know, uh, a beast mode or uh, another term, flip the switch. You know, everyone has that gauge, but a lot of people never find it, which is a shame. Um, and like, I, I think everybody has it. If someone says that they are not capable of something, it's, it's a confidence thing and they're really far from finding that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean they can't. So for me, when I'm training guys, I just want to really try and make them as hungry as possible. And, and that comes from a why it, it all comes from your why. Like if you just talk about a, a training with a group of guys about their why, uh, that is the most effective training you could possibly have because all those guys leave that office pumped as hell, mm-hmm. thinking about why they're there, what they're doing. Uh, I've seen Gaines do some good trainings about that, about mm-hmm. your why. Yeah, um, he's at that. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it just it's all about how much you care, you know, how much you, how far you're willing to go. And for me, and in, in, in what we're doing here, it's like, you know, I, I understand how this works, and like we're talking about cutting your own check. 
you know, if, if I want to, like you were talking about earlier, if I want to get the home, the car, provide for my family travel, I need to be willing to do all the dirty work, which I am. So I think that everyone else is capable of doing that, but a lot of people just, it comes down to, for them, it's not worth it to make those sacrifices sometimes, like the guy who flew from Utah to Detroit. Mm-hmm. At that point, it, it wasn't worth his sacrifice, so that's why it didn't work for him. Mm-hmm. That's why it's not for everybody. I feel that. And cut. <laughs> Actually, that's where we started to experience some technical difficulties. Uh, a huge thank you to Tristan for making the flight out. I uh, can't wait to have him back again next year on the podcast. And thank you guys for joining us.